601 here at Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. It's Friday Night Live, and I am here without Joe Paris. But fear not, because I have two of BSN Denver's best with me. First, let me introduce myself. I'm Andrew Hobner. If you are just tuning into the show, and I have with me Ryan Konigsberg of BSN Denver and his associate who obviously hasn't known that the Mets beat the Cubs in the NLCS, Jake Shapiro. Why? What? You, you didn't know that? Wait, I Back thought to there the was a game didn't happen. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's funny. No, if... I'm just happy with their performances here. <laughs> well, you know what's funny, man, is, is you, Joe, uh, who's out doing CU hockey tonight. He's watching the Jays game, let's be honest. He is decked out in Canadian all-Toronto Blue Jays stuff. It's, it's hysterical. I, I don't know. I mean, it. it His buddies are all Canadian. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. I, I that makes when my friends like a team, it makes me like them less. Yeah, I, it's well, it's just weird in that sense. Like you have. Uh, you that's know, why you're not a Buffs fan. Well, that, that's, <laughs> that's why. I he's just like a, seeing everyone. Like, par- I like seeing everyone be miserable. That's why <laughs> he loves reading all Buffs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's Shaden, oh, Schadenfreude. How do you pronounce that? Schadenfreude. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. I am not a linguist. I'm a writer. I like that actually. I heard, <laughs> I heard otherwise, Ryan. Quotes, quotes oh, from okay. Ryan Koenigsberg. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's dangerous territory. It's very dangerous. Well, we got a pretty good show for you guys tonight. Uh, for those of you that tuned in Monday and heard me and Shap just kind of free flowing it, we actually have a structure for this one. So uh, fear not. We got Ryan with us. We got Jake with us. Uh, we're gonna have Tad Boyle. We uh, interviewed him yesterday. Uh, got that pre-taped, and we'll have him. Hobner uh, always likes to hog the good interviews to himself. Well, I mean, at, at this point, I, I get so many people. Just I, I really think it's because of the time slot that we're in, six to eight on you know on a Friday on a Friday night that. Most of the big interviews we have, because we're not ESPN Radio, turn around and say, is there any way you can pre-tape? And nine times out of ten, if that's if that's what it's going to be, like, talk to Rick George or Tad Boyle or not, and have to pre-tape, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll totally pre-tape it. Also, it's it's kind of nice. I don't know. I I leave the booking open if anybody were to want to book a guest. We can get the bloggers on at this time, though. Well, and we actually will. We have <laughs> we have the famous uh, the goose, the CU goose, James Lucas himself, joining us shortly after uh, we get done with the Tad Boyle interview. We'll be talking Buffs basketball, a uh, little bit of the tables and and stats that he builds as post uh, on all buffs of the season resting on the shoulders of Dom Collier. I I thought the stats that he compiled and everything were fantastic for that and. We'll touch base a little bit with him. But before we get into basketball, um, we talked last week and mentioned now this was sort of make or break for fan perception for Colorado football, the Arizona game. And, of course, Colorado ended up dropping that game 38-31. to And a lot of people, the, the focus just because of basketball media day is sort of shifted a little bit. People kind of getting a little bit excited. Is it November yet? But football season is still here, and there is still a very winnable game ahead of the Colorado Buffaloes out in Corvallis at Reeser Stadium against the Beavers. So, Ryan, from what you've seen this week, what do you think? Uh, do, you know, is this a a possible plausible win for Colorado? Because you mentioned to me last week that this is the kind of time where typically the wheels really start to fall off the wagon. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a winnable game. Uh, the question is, will they go win it? I go back to my feelings that I had before the Hawaii game. You know, I predicted them to win that game, but I said, look, 
they should win that game, but I have absolutely zero confidence that they actually will do it. Uh, and I feel the exact same way going into this game tomorrow. Uh, there's, there's no reason Colorado should not beat Oregon State. They are a better football team than Oregon State. But there's absolutely nothing in my mind that gives me any confidence that Colorado actually will go beat Oregon State when the ball is kicked off. Well, and, and to touch on that, there, there is some news that, that has come up that has not been necessarily reported yet. But on Monday, Ryan Muller was riding his moped and got hit by a car. And so that's why he wasn't in class? So I didn't even hear he, this. So, so this, is, this has been corroborated by several sources within, uh, within sports information, within the sports medicine on the football team and a couple of people that I'm friends with that were actually there on the scene when it happened. Um, a, a girl that was driving hit Ryan while he was on a moped. Um, the story is that he has a concussion that he will not be playing this weekend. Jared Bell will most likely be in the starting role with Afalabi Laguda backing him up. So that is uh, going to be a pretty big piece uh, of this game that will be happening tomorrow. Um, losing who, what has probably been what, the best safety on Colorado's defense right now, but Oregon State's a team that struggles a lot, so I don't know how necessarily worried everyone should be about it, but I don't know. I, I guess no, you know, an injury is no good news for Colorado at this point. This is where you go back to, and first of all, it's really unfortunate to hear that because Ryan Muller's been playing, uh, playing really great football, but it's glad to hear that he's okay. Uh, getting hit by a car is no joke, and I think getting out of there with just a concussion uh, is a good thing for Ryan. That being said, going into this season, we talked about depth and depth, at, uh, especially in the secondary and especially at that safety position. Um, I think, you know, Jared Bell is a very worthy replacement. He, he's come back from that knee. He tells me he feels 100 um, percent. He played well in that Nichols game. And then also, I think you're going to see a lot of Afalabi Laguda, especially because of how much uh, Oregon State likes to run the ball. Um, so Afo can come up there and be a run stopper. So depth is an important key to success at this level, and I think they're safe at that position, uh, at least for the most part. Yeah, I haven't been a big fan of Laguda's game thus far this season. He hasn't really stood out to me in a positive way. He's made a few negative plays that have stood out to me. He's gotten burned a few times, and I I've seen him get burned a few times. But you go back to the first quarter of last week's game against uh, Arizona, and Ryan Mulder really keeps the buffs in that game. They he prevented a few big plays for Arizona, kept it within 14, and he was so underrated for that defense. Everyone talks about Ted. Everyone talks about KO. Everyone talks about uh, Ken Crawley or Cheeto Biawuzi. Ryan Moeller was a guy, I think, that led the team in tackles last week or tied for the lead in tackles last week. On the season. Right, and he he, he is just fantastic. He's been a, a great story for this team, so that's just so unfortunate. Uh, he's a great guy, too, so I, I feel really bad for him. Uh, but, you know, going to Jared Bell, Jared Bell's looked better game to game to game every, every single game this year. When he's played, he has made strides, and you can tell that coming off of a knee injury like that it takes a few games it it takes you some time to get back up to speed and hopefully for the buffs Jared Bell will be back to 100% because you know you have a guy like that a veteran safety he's going to have the brains hopefully the athleticism is there that we've seen in the past yeah and when you look at Jared i mean it was against Nickel State, but he had a pretty strong game. He had two picks and uh, boatload of tackles. Jared's a guy who I think, in a situation like this, 
I like having Jared Bell because this kind of is a make or break for the season and uh, having a six-year veteran who kind of understands what's at stake is good for at least what I think to be locker room morale and morale on the field. Um, it also helps that Kenny Olegbode uh, is going to be coming back. Really, really quick turnaround on that injury of his Maybe Jared Bell's the guy that lights a fire on this team because nothing has shown me that this team can win a Pac-12 game, let alone a Pac-12 road game. They just haven't been able. They've gotten ahead and they and they've looked good, but they haven't been able to to step on a team's throat. They haven't been able to finish the job. And you know, especially on the road, you need to capitalize on every single uh, turnover or advantage the other teams give you. So. You're looking at this Buffs team right now, and maybe a guy like Bell, who has been here for so long and has seen so much failure, is just you know screw it. We're we're gonna win this game. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna do everything I can, and I'm gonna play through anything, and you guys will be too. And we're gonna capitalize on every mistake. Maybe his man mentality into this game uh, is, is something good for the Buffs, but you know I don't think it comes uh, coming at the cost of losing Ryan Moeller is ever a good thing. Yeah, I mean, you said it. Uh, not only does Colorado not give you any confidence they can win a road game in the Pac-12, there's nothing that gives us any confidence they can win a game in the Pac-12, period. Uh, they've lost 28 out of their last 29. Like, you, There's nothing more you need to say. I, I do think Jared Bell, like I said, is, is a fine replacement. He's going to do all right. Uh, this game is going to come down to execution to me on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so I think Jared Bell comes in there, and, and it not, not, doesn't necessarily have to be a seamless transition, but this isn't a prolific offense. You know, Say this happened last week against Arizona. You're worrying a little bit more. Um, this defense should be able to stand up. The game is coming down to execution on the offensive side of the ball. It's to me. huge that you get KO back for this because right. he's going to be in there being able to make tackles. Last week, you saw the secondary be, being relied upon so much to make tackles because the linebackers just weren't there for times in the game. But, you know, like you said, I don't, I don't think this game's going to come down to Oregon State's offense versus Colorado's defense. I think it's going to come down to Colorado's offense versus Oregon State's defense. Yep. And I think that's a really important thing to note is that. Man, this Oregon State team, you look at Colorado and the struggles that they've had this season. Oregon State has had an equally big struggle this season. They've gotten blown out of just about every game they played in. You could say Oregon State has not out of the woods this year yet. <laughs> just throw your arms up, shrug. I'm causing a storm in the studio. Oh, my God. Stop. I'm going to just put this to music and just stop the show at this point. If we keep going like this, we're not going to make it until 7. I, I guess they're just, you know, really eager eager beavers to get a win, you know? Oh, I knew you'd go there, too. You know, the, <laughs> you know it's aside, aside from the puns, I... I actually have a decent amount of faith that that Colorado can can win this game, and it's it's been weird to me. Um, Coach McIntyre's uh, demeanor going into this game uh, juxtaposed against what his demeanor was like last week against Arizona. I mean, you could tell that there was there was a little bit of edge, there was a little bit of urgency, and, and a kind of desire. A, a fire was kind of lit under him, and I don't know what happened. It's like Ron Livingston in office space where he hits enlightenment, and all of a sudden he's just, like, happy. <laughs> like, that, that is, like, what Coach Mack has been like for me. Or, well, that's what, not good because that, what, he hit that when he decided he was going to quit his job. Well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it's kind of true, though. Like he, he's been just very, very calm, very even keeled this week. There really, there, there's been no, no snap or, or anything like that. No edge, um, and I, 
I, I hope that translates into confidence. I hope that means that this team is confident because if not, then you start to wonder if there is a bit of of a mailing in going on and I, I really hope that's not the case with this team there's two things here max attitude you can almost characterize as taoism it, it's very different this week uh Ooh. you know nice. right right now you have mac I, I think last week was a different type of desperation compared to this week but i think they're both desperation i asked sefa lufau after the game saturday night do you guys still have confidence and he gave me the don't doubt our confidence yep. answer and i loved it because you know if sefo is still confident that he can throw the rock and he still ha- has guys he can he can make plays on the offense with i, I think that's key for colorado you know y- you still need to have confidence in yourself despite all this losing because you've seen how close they've gotten so the question is does that translate onto the field and we really haven't seen it translate onto the field this year said for maybe the colorado state game yeah, I, I, for me, uh, and I think it's great that Cepho said something like that, but it's not the Cepho Lufaus of the world that you have to worry about. Um, the Cephos, the, the Philip Lindsays, the Derek McCartneys, those guys are always going to be dialed in. They, they care so much. All all they're, they're wired to win games, and, and uh, they're always going to be locked in. It's the the Bryce Bobos, the Jimmy Gilberts of the world, uh, and not to call out anyone specifically, just throwing out different names Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily known as leaders on this team. Those are the guys that you have to worry about because if everyone is not completely bought in, uh, then no one might as well be bought in. So that's what I worry about, and maybe not this week, but say they drop this one, uh, I think it could kind of start to get scary in that locker room. Yeah. This, is, this is a question specifically for this week, uh, I guess maybe in a little bit going forward, but you don't have Shea Fields. You mentioned Bryce Bobo's name. Is Bryce Bobo the guy, or is it going to be a Bryce Bobo kind of Devin Ross tandem making up for Shea Fields' effort, or maybe even we'll see the rock more in Nelson Spruce's hands? What do you think, RK? Uh, the latter there. I think mm-hmm. uh, everyone wants to talk about, yeah, Bryce Bobo, Shea Fields, they're going to be, or Bryce Bobo, Devin Ross, they're going to be filling in. Um, if I know anything about Cepho, he really likes to stick with the receivers he's comfortable with. Of course, he's going to spread it out. Those guys are going to get a few more catches. Um, I think what you see this week is a much bigger focus on Nelson Spruce. Uh, and um, for better or for worse, I think Cepho uh, is really going to, ha- going to force it into Nelson this week. Um, and, it, you know, it's going to be up to Nelson to get open and do what he does best. Um, I, I think this is a game where you kind of see, almost like Cal last year, you're not going to see the crazy numbers because double overtime and whatnot. This is a game where Seth Oluva is going to drop back. He's going to look for 22, and whether he's open or not, that's where the ball's going. Well, and, you know, we really have yet to see a, a very high-volume receiving game the way Nelson uh, was putting in games like that last year. I mean, I don't think he's had a game where he's been over double-digit receptions this year. It's he's, been seven or eight yeah, every like single game, 60 nine, yards. Yeah, yeah, 60 to 80 yards. You know, there's been it's been no, like remarkably consistent. It, it has. It's it's bizarre. Like you can count on that. Like six, six to nine eight, receptions, sixty to eighty, sixty to eighty, exactly. And I wonder if he is going to have the ability to have this sort of breakout game. And it's really, really unfortunate. We were all st- sitting down on the field waiting to walk over to the Champion Center for the press conference when Shafields caught that pass, and then instantly went down immediately afterward. And it, I was all upset because I was doing the game on play-by-play, and I have a great touchdown call, and then my color commentator just starts going, oh, no. 
Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, let me finish this call. But yeah, it's for unfortunate. The, <laughs> that that's bad note there. But yeah. for the sake of of actually making sure that that you do this right, I want you to say your color commentator from that game's name, and I want you to say it correctly. Matan hands up. Halzel. 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 I got his first name right this time. <laughs> we. Uh, Jake is so bad at pronouncing <laughs> names. That's not fair. No, it's, just not, I, I'm dyslexic. <laughs> I think exactly. it's, I think it's pretty impressive that. I'm a credentialed writer, and I'm dyslexic. Not not to put you on the spot, Chap, but the first like cut of that radio show that you did it took me maybe week, six or seven times, and I still didn't get his name right. Well, you didn't even introduce him the first time. You're like safe move, yeah, safe move. You're like you're like I'm Jake Shapiro, and here's my colleague, and this is the this is Colorado <laughs> for Arizona. And then the rest of the game, I go I'm Jake Shapiro, and to my left, yeah. and then he'd say his name. <laughs> yeah. that was pretty. That was funny to be sitting up there with you. Well, looking at this at this game statistically, Colorado and and Oregon State are, are basically on similar wavelengths. I think real quick. Yeah, real KO, quick. Say his name. Kenneth Olobode. Ooh, oh, he's, he's got it now. He's got it. it. You're getting there. You're and getting there. I like it. It was like the Jeff Breidich British thing that took me a little bit. Oh, my God. Sorry, I had to get one Rocky <laughs> thing in the end. Oh, man. Well, at least it's not going to be dominant. I thought when you said I want to bring like a, another BSN guy, on, I was like, we're going Rockies. No, I was going to bring coming. like Timmons or, <laughs> yeah. or one of our basketball guys on because the Nugget season starts next week. Well, well, we probably will Monday, hopefully for Monday yeah. if we can. But um, back to the back to Colorado and Oregon State. Um, statistically, these teams are awfully similar. I mean, both are riding three game losing streaks. Uh, they're both in the same ballpark uh, as far as rushing offense. Uh, both in the same ballpark as far as rushing defense, passing defense. Uh, total defense they're they're within about 14 to 15 places of each other in every single one and to be completely honest i really don't see many matchups here where i can comfortably say colorado has the advantage here and the i think that's kind of become the biggest problem is that there, there's not really enough faith that people think okay if you match up uh Colorado's front seven against Oregon State's rushing attack, like it's comfortable to say Colorado's got the edge there. And I think that's that's an issue going into this game. But do either of you guys see a matchup where you comfortably can say Colorado has this one? Uh, Colorado has the better quarterback. Um, Colorado... A lot of people that would disagree with you. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about Seth Lufau. He is a better quarterback than Seth Collins, uh, at least when it comes to throwing the ball. Um, Colorado had... I would say I would give Colorado secondary the, um, the edge over Oregon State's receivers. Um, and vice versa, I would give Colorado's receivers the edge over... Uh, Oregon State's secondary. I'm going to give Colorado's passing game an edge over Oregon State's secondary. That's the oh, one yeah. place I see uh, uh, a big opportunity for the Buffs to take advantage of a matchup. Now, the biggest issue that, that I do see, though, like matchups aside, is just now the play calling is, is kind of going to come into question a little bit. <laughs> is the running game is the running game going to be the thing that reigns supreme? Are we going to see a return to Cepho throwing the ball 40 times in a game? And what 
what that play calling will be. Will it get conservative? Will it be more out there? I mean, there's a lot riding on on this game. There are jobs, in my opinion, riding on this game against Oregon State. Yeah, uh, they they have to pull out all the stops. Um, and if something's not working, they really don't have time to mess around with it. So I think, yes, you're going to see them come out and try and pound the rock. They're going to come out in that two tight end set, uh, and they're going to try and pound it because Oregon State has not been great stopping the run this year. Um, but if it doesn't work, uh, Brian, I know Brian Lindgren's under a lot of pressure too, uh, and he needs to figure it out quickly. Uh, I don't think his adjustments this season have been coming fast enough. So he absolutely, uh, if the Buffs aren't having success running the ball, you better have a backup plan. And I, like I said, I do think the passing game should have an advantage this week, um, especially Nelson. There's not really a guy that can, they can put out there and stick on him that uh, he shouldn't be able to get away from and, and just get chunks down the field. So uh, I really do, I mean, I do think Colorado has a chance to have success running the ball in this game, but Hey, if the offensive line doesn't have it, they're not on the same page, it's not working, you better be quick mm-hmm. in knowing what you got to do to change because the Buffs simply can't afford to do what they did last week and, and get complacent and try and force something until it costs them the game. Yeah, Colorado really needs to run the ball in this game, in my opinion. They really need to figure out how to, how to establish a run game, especially with Shea Field's explosiveness out. You're going to have, uh, hopefully for that for Colorado, you're going to have a good running game to, to open up uh, some, some short yardage receiving slots for Nelson Spruce. So I think it really all starts with the running game this week, but if they stay with the running game for too long, like you said, Ryan, like they did last week, I think that's going to be a problem problem for that and, and you saw them last week you know they tried to bring in Patrick Carr do whatever they could but they were still running the ball they were doing whatever they could but they were still running the ball mm-hmm. I don't think they understood that they needed to throw the ball a few times uh, I think a thing that you could see in this game is them using their tight ends a little bit more you haven't really seen them take advantage too much of Sean Irwin and uh, Keeney you've seen it a few times with Sean Irwin uh, going up the seam and uh, I think that's been twice or three times and you know uh, especially with Oregon State's defense not being one of the better ones I think Colorado has some uh, size advantage athleticism advantages even with guys like Sean Irwin where they can take advantage of a not as big compared to the rest rest of the Pac-12 Oregon State defense you mentioned putting in Patrick Carr and this is an interesting thing that that uh, I thought happened is I I don't understand why the Buffs are so in love with having uh, one running back in there for an entire series sometimes they switch them out but it feels like they're like okay this is Phil's series this is this is uh, Patrick Carr's series uh, I'd much rather see you know Phil I don't think they should ever start a, a drive without Phil out yeah, there on first I down completely um, I'm fine with bringing Patrick Carr in there on third down we've I think a lot of people have talked about this throw the man a screen get him the ball and let him do something in space because We've seen him get around the edge about once every game, and it's some, he usually does something special, gets a good chunk. Let Do what you can to get him out in space and let him do his thing because, man, that kid can fly, uh, and they really haven't been able to take advantage of it this year. Um, and that's just one of many playmakers. I haven't seen them get the ball in the right places. You know, I think when, when you mentioned Brian Linger, and the one thing I always think when I see him and his play calling is that he's a guy who's almost – overcomplicating himself and the things that he that he's doing because there's 
for at least from my eyes in the box. I'm not an offensive coordinator. I'm not a Division One football coach. But there are times really? where I look at— You're not? No. I am an NCAA 12 where I have a Buffalo's team that's won four straight national championships. Behind the Cody Hawkins? The top recruiting class in the last three years. But Solid. Uh, yeah. If you could do oh, yeah. it in a video game, I'm pretty sure you could do it in real life. I, I would hope so, as long as somebody has uh, given me Lee Corso's play pick every single down. <laughs> <laughs> go go uh, HB, HB screen. Plus, just plus just right. do Emory every single time. Halfback screen to uh, Speedy Stewart. Speedy. It worked. It's true. <laughs> Their whole offense was predicated around setting up the screen. Yep. <laughs> well, and that's that's kind of the thing that I notice is like there's there are these times where where you'll see these play calls and think, in what universe was did you think that that was a good idea? I totally agree. Yeah, uh, and, and I don't want to rip on Lingren too much, but I think I tweeted as much last week, and I said, mm-hmm. uh, look. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that calling plays is harder than I think it is, but I think Brian Lindgren makes it look harder than it really is. Yeah, exactly. Just and like the Colts with that punt play. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> did you guys see, just just a tangent real quick, did you guys uh, see the video of the South, so you guys know the South Park episode with the Redskins, right? And, yes, and Dan I saw Snyder. that. Right. I, I was that, that, was yeah. that your tweet? Yeah, with the vine of, of Dan Snyder getting killed by the Cowboys, and it was like the summarization of like that. Colts play. Yes, that, that was, was amazing. I love Twitter for that very reason. All, or all the Drake hotline bling videos. <laughs> oh god, no. that one's the, honestly the whoever did it. Somebody mashed that and they took the the tennis racket. The tennis racket yeah. one was good. The pepperoni on the pizza was good. Mm-hmm. But somebody dubbed that song over uh, over the SpongeBob episode where they're playing in the bubble bowl and he's got like the microphone and somebody took the. <laughs> good lord! Oh my by, god! By it far was great. my favorite one, by the way. <laughs> Just quickly, was the Drake matchup with uh, Take On Me by AHA. If you yeah, saw that one, like, that was fantastic. The, yeah. the, you know what the title of that Vine was? And you'd really appreciate this? Drake On Me. <laughs> <laughs> so back to back to things that actually matter. Um, so Lindgren, I, yeah, like I, I think sometimes he overcomplicates things. And, you know, I like the guy. I think he's a really – I think he's a pretty bright young mind and is kind of uh, – a member of this new age of, of coordinators and coaches that are just you know young dudes who know how to spread the field out and know how to spread the ball out and there's a lot of people that are a little bit unhappy with the fact that he's coming along with with Mac from from that WAC staff and I think he probably I think more so than than Mac is his, he's coaching for his job right now I think because I I I read the uh, I read. Rick George's uh, athletic department noticed that that you put up uh, you know his little update and while it wasn't uh, an endorsement for Mac I think he's got enough faith that the ship can be righted but if there is a problem someone's gonna go and I think that it's your OC before the guy who you potentially have to buy nine million dollars out of yeah I think I think Jim Lovett's just a really or not Jim Lovett sorry Um, (laughs) Jim Lovett's on a hot seat right Brian Brian (laughs) Lindgren is just a really easy target at this point just because you've seen the offense succeed last year you know the talent is there you You know they're all coming back right it's just it hasn't been there it hasn't amounted to anything but you thought Michael Adkins was going to be a huge part of this mm-hmm. offense. You lost that. You've lost half your offensive line. You are now down Shea Fields. You know, I'm not trying to sit here and defend Lingren because he hasn't been that great, but I really do think he's a smart guy, and I think we're getting to this 
point where maybe he's out coaching himself at some times, but that's going to happen with a young coach, and I think he needs uh, some direction to flourish. I don't know if that's necessarily losing his job and coming to a realization, but you know, he, I think he's a really smart guy. He keeps it real. He 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 he's a straight shooter, and I think the players really respect Brian Lindgren. I think they think that, but here's my question to you, Andrew. Who's responsible for Brian Lindgren? Yeah, no, it's true. That's, I mean, you, your head coach. My, Mike McIntyre yeah, is ultimately I, I, responsible yep. for the coaches that he brought here. Uh, one has already been a failure. They did a very nice job of replacing him. But if both your coordinators uh, end up being considered failures, if you want to fire Jim, uh, if you want to fire Brian Lindgren, well, then you failed hiring your coordinators, and eventually that has to come back on you. Um, so I think if it gets to that point, uh, then it's, it can't be all put on Brian Lindgren. I think if, it's, if, if Lindgren's getting fired, then I think that means the staff is going with him. Well, I, I wonder if that means uh, if that's an indictment on, on Max choosing of his coordinators or of his commitment to keeping that staff. Um, He's a very, very loyal person. And, you know, well, the funny thing is, uh, not that the situation is at all comparable, but I one thing that I said a bit last year for for right or wrong was that Tad Boyle was he, he's very tight with his guys too with Prelo and Roan who've been with him for a very very long time mm-hmm. and if something were to ever you know if you were to have another bad season compounded by another bad season people would be kind of asking questions about what's on that assistant staff why you know there hasn't been a change in some years and so I think that it would probably I think it would hurt Mac but uh, to have to let guys that he's very loyal and committed to go, but I don't know if that means that it's all completely on him. You know, it's it's kind of a there, there's a weird it's, it's a weird situation to to say the least because Lindgren's like, not making what Mac makes. You know, like that's right. that's also the issue standing there too. I mean, you could get a better if this all worst went to worst. You can get a better OC. I don't know if you could get a better head coach right now for Colorado football. Well, well you're the one that's arguing that Jim Lovett's a better coach. You've said that. I I did, and, so, and I still I still do I still do believe that. But I think I think it's got to be incremental unless the wheels totally fall off the wagon. I mean, if if it's a disaster at Reeser Stadium and Oregon State runs away with this one, then yes, the whole staff is on. <laughs> like you just shuddered. It was like Ugh, it's true, it's but like of that, that just the reaction. Is. That is a that's a nightmare scenario. That's an absolute a- nightmare scenario and that's a situation in which I think you can justify saying that Coach Mack might be hot seated. But if they win two or three games and you feel, as Rick George, that a change is necessary... Well, two or three games is a lot different than one or zero. Well, that, But that's what I mean. There's... But you can yeah. only go, but you can only go through so many coordinators to make an example of that they're failing. And like Ryan said, you brought in these guys. Well, that's and true. Who's been the most questionable coordinator out of any coordinator he hired? The special teams coordinator. So you've already lost your defensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator is getting a lot of questions by everyone right now, and the special teams coordinator want uh, all the fans want him out. Yeah. So. Who's the guy in charge of all these people? Yeah. Mike McIntyre. So by that thinking, you know he's the one that you know. That that's in charge, but I I don't necessarily think that Mac is um, Mac's bad. I I think that maybe uh, there there's 
some kind of system that's failing within the Colorado football program mm-hmm. right now. And I want to clarify this because I feel like I've gotten pretty bleak between this show so far and our podcast. Um, I'm not uh, by any means on the Fire Mac bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just looking at this from what I perceive is the perception within the program uh, and that sort of thing. I think think McIntyre's made a lot of progress, and it's evident. Uh, And I think if you read uh, the piece that Tyler Ziskin put together today, which he put a whole lot of work into, um, it was. And you'll see the reasons why uh, it makes sense to keep Mac. Um, And like I said, I think the progress is very evident. And I think people too often see one, you know, you get from the bottom up to the middle, and people want to see you get from the middle back up to, you know, the top or somewhere in between very fast. Uh, And I just don't think it's that simple. I think the Buffs have been stuck in this middle area now for uh, a whole year where they they just can't quite get there, but they're not terrible. Uh, And I don't think it can happen as fast as people want it to. So... I'm not saying that McIntyre needs to go by any means, and I, I don't I don't know if I would necessarily support it if he was fired. That being said, uh, I, I just get the feeling point. they you have to get a win this yeah. year. You well, have to get a win in the pack. Yeah, we were talking this week, uh, Ryan and I and Adam Mustertagger, and we were saying that, you know, the hardest part for a football team is going from competing in games to winning games, and they're having that struggle right now. Um, and right now where they're at is a really weird place because they you haven't really seen the success that they've had within the program translate onto the field and into the win column right now. But I think there's a huge difference between us thinking that McIntyre deserves or doesn't deserve to lose his job and Rick George thinking that. And right now, I'm completely in favor of Mac. I think he, I think he's doing a pretty, pretty good job. I think he deserves to finish out his contract at the very least. And, and you know, I know if they lose this week, they're going to have the longest conference losing streak they've ever had, and it's going to be 29 out of the last 30 conference games that they have, will have lost. But on the other hand, you see the progress they're making. Um, but you, you know, it, it's not our decision. And I, I, There's I only think one person, yeah, right, exactly. only one person mm-hmm. that well, matters few, in making this decision. Yeah. I, I, so I think there's a big difference in us perceiving whether or not he should go and us thinking whether or not he should go. And I think we need to clarify that because, Andrew, I've had this talk with you, and I think you perceive that Max close to him losing his job, but you don't necessarily think he deserves to lose it. Yeah, I, and honestly, I think that's the best way to kind of summarize my position on this is that I, I'm, I'm a realist in this situation. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and football is getting to a point where you are having athletic directors who are almost as impatient as Barkley's Premier League owners. I mean, <laughs> you are seeing just a ridiculously quick turnaround because people expect immediate success when you hire a new coach. They expect Je- uh, Jeff Tedford, who came in after Tom Holmo had a, a tr- had an atrocious tenure with Cal. The year prior to Tedford, they went 1-10. Tedford comes in, they win seven games, and they make a bowl game almost every single year until he gets fired. And that's what people want to see. But I don't think it's just in college football. I think this is across sports now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you look at what the Blue Jackets just did. Uh, The Blue Jackets were a team that have a lot Mm -hmm. of talent this year. They just missed the playoffs by two or three points last year. They get Brandon Saad from the Blackhawks, who's one of the best young players in hockey. Their younger guy, Sonny Milano, is coming up to to the NHL. They got some good talent on that team. 
and they start the season 0-5, 0-6. They fire their head coach, and they brought in the best coach they could find in uh, John Tortorella. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think that's in sports in general right now. You yep. see a lot of impatience, even with the Blackhawks, when they originally brought in Joel Quinville, he came in six games into the season when he came in for uh, Savard mm-hmm. his first year in 2009. So I think we're in a different culture in sports the last 10 years where you need to see instant results, especially yeah. if you know talent is there, which we do know that talent is starting to become there with the Buffs. Well, I'll just put it this way. I think we've all made it clear that we we – we aren't necessarily jumping on the fire Mac bandwagon, but I'll just put but it you this have way. To acknowledge it's all there. it takes, no matter how much progress you think you think he's making, all it takes is Rick George believing he can bring in a guy that can make progress faster, mm-hmm. and that's all it takes. Just what, we always talk about in the draft, all it takes is one team to think uh, some players good. All Tim takes, Tebow can be a first round pick. Oh, right. Stop it. <laughs> no, all it takes is one guy, Rick George, believing that Mac, Mike McIntyre isn't the answer uh, and knowing that in thinking that he can do better. Uh, and I think that's what it comes down to. And I think that's why the Buffaloes absolutely have to get a win this year in, in the Pac-12. Uh, I, and it, it, it almost has to come tomorrow. Yeah. Because I, I, you look at the rest of that schedule, and I really think if it doesn't come tomorrow, then you do risk losing a lot of those minds in the locker room. Uh, and, and possibly recruits. Right. Yeah. Well, you guys, uh, I mentioned this on Monday, and, and I've, I've told this to you guys on uh, on Saturday night. The most depressing thing I can think of in my CU career here is the fact that um, I wasn't present for the Cal game, and with Stanford and USC left on the schedule for Folsom, I might not ever see a Pac-12 victory at Folsom in my college career here. And the rest of the schedule is daunting for CU, especially in light of Washington State playing very, very well this season on the back of Mike Leach's 70 attempts per game and no running offense. They might not have a chance to win another game sans for... Uh, sans. Sans. There sans, you sans go. For, uh, <laughs> We're struggling with the German words this year. <laughs> sans for uh, Oregon State. Uh, shout out to Bryce on that song. Yeah. <laughs> but, in, yeah, it's. I mean, it's absolutely true there is not much wiggle room anymore and all of the all of the victories that were there uh they dried up really quick and rick george for him to uh you can still see where his mind's at and how competitive he is when in his address he mentions getting to a bowl is still like statistically attainable and well and if they win this week then what else? The, it's the, the the conversation isn't completely out of. The, I mean, they're four and four if they win this week. So you can still continue to talk about. It. There's still hope within the fan base. They lose this week. You're begging people to come to these Stanford and mm-hmm. USC games. Well, they're right? coming to see Stanford and USC. They're not coming to see and CU that's anymore. Something that's what Rick George can't deal with. Yeah, because simply he needs people in the seats so he can make his athletic department function. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Drive to 105. Right, and that's why it's so, so important for McIntyre to get a win this week. To keep the fans, I mean, the fans are, as we speak, they're falling off the bandwagon left and right. This is, a winning this game is the only thing that can keep some semblance of hope in the diehards. Yeah, and you mentioned the drive to 105, Shap, and the Sustainable Excellence Initiative is, is still going on, and when you actually look at the, at the numbers here, I need to 
pick them up. But the last time I checked, they're still around 30 to 35 million short. 20. Yeah, they 20 just, million. just in That's that right. athletic update today, they said they're at 85. Yeah, here we go. The capital ringing up. Yes. So they are 59 million roughly in capital, uh, 23 million in endowments, which comes out to about $82 million. So they're still, but they're still looking for money. And that's kind of my point is like, they still need to give people a reason to invest in this program. And the unfortunate truth of this is that outside of Oregon State, Colorado needs to find some type of, of courage or, or special, uh, for Harry Potter fans, Felix Felicis, the good luck potion that Harry gets. Yep. Right over yep, my head. That's, that's fine. Can we go I, back to sports? Oh, you're going to give me that? I'm the one. I, at worst, I make baseball or <laughs> hockey references. Okay, that's fair. That's Speaking of, I want to just real quick. You talked about uh, sports franchises being impatient and making quick changes uh, in this day and age. Then how in the world is Walt Weiss still the coach of the Rockies? Uh, manager. Rockies talk. Here we not go. Not coach. Um, Doesn't matter. Sorry. Um, but I think uh, I was going to, th- I thought you were going to go, how in the world is Peyton Manning still the starting quarterback of the Broncos? <laughs> I actually, <laughs> yeah, we're not going to start this. Um, I'm Every not, person who listens to sports radio is like, no, has heard no, that conversation. Like, let's, let's not start this. Uh, well, here's the thing. What the Rockies do next season probably really does not matter for their future. So bringing back Walt Weiss, uh, he's well-liked in the organization. The players like playing for him. Uh, you know, if he doesn't get fired, he's probably going to stick around in the organization in some capacity after next year when he's, his contract's up. Uh, he's cheap, and, you know, he's not terrible as a manager. He doesn't make the best decisions with his bullpen, but I think that gets outweighed by the fact that his players like him. So, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons that he's still there, and I don't think the, that him – you know, succeeding is one of them because he hasn't succeeded. I think it's more to do with the Rockies' young talent that'll be coming up. Will be coming up late next year and early in 2017. So basically, they, he's a fall guy, yeah. right? <laughs> it, because if they bring in a, a new guy next year, this year, if they brought in a new guy right now, he's gonna he, he's gonna win. There's gonna win 68 games, and everyone's gonna be talking about how he should lose his job, right? Rather than in two years bringing in a new guy when you have David Dahl as your starting center fielder, John Gray, Kyle Freeland in your rotation. So I, I think a Fair lot's enough. gonna change in terms of the talent of the ball club in the next, you know, 18 months. And I think they're just kind of waiting on it to, to show up because really that's that's what they're doing. They're playing the stall games. They're signing guys like Kyle Kendrick just so they don't have to call up guys like Eddie Butler like they did last year. Or, or sorry, in 2014 now. Uh, so they're just stalling on the major league level. Uh, and unfortunately, okay, that enough. comes that's at enough. the expense of Nolan <laughs> Renato. So you want to so – yeah, poor Nolan. While, while I was reading through through the game notes, uh, something, some, a couple things here kind of kind of hit me that I thought were were pretty interesting to note. The first being uh, the stat of the week, which is Colorado. Between all the injuries that they've had, they've they have lost a collect uh, collective twenty nine games total from players that are injured when you add up the amount of time that they've been hurt for. Does that and count Tyler Hennington? That does nope. not count Tyler Hennington. Um, that, but that does include Addison Gillum and Jeremy Irwin. And for those of you that don't know, Gillum had to get surgery again on his knee. And, man, you, ju- you, you just want the best for the kid, but he just he can't stay healthy. And it's, it's really unfortunate. And the other stat that I thought was wild, too, is 
This is a three and four football team, and from the outside looking in, if you don't know CU football and you don't know the history and you see all the media outrage that's going on around this team, you'd think, man, this is the most dysfunctional three and four team in college football right now. Just because if if you have, I'll put it this way: if you have no base knowledge of CU football or the history of CU football, you'd be thinking that all of us are crazy. But that's what people <laughs> think within the Pac-12 because they've seen Colorado win four conference games since joining the Pac-12, and they don't really know Colorado's history like people in Nebraska, mm-hmm. Iowa do. You know, people in California weren't paying attention to Colorado's program as closely when the 1990s were happening. So. I think that's a really good perception within the Pac-12 that Colorado's almost looked at as little brother within the Pac-12. Well, it doesn't help when you have Utah that came in at roughly the same time and you know, taking taking the success that Urban Meyer built with that program, Kyle Whittingham has come in and done fantastic things with the Utes, and and even their basketball program has succeeded uh, fantastically. Yeah, it's like you know, that's the real one because yeah. Oregon football came in in a good place. Um, they were obviously outmatched because they had Mountain West talent coming into the Pac-12, but man, they just picked. They were able to just move from recru- recruiting upper level Mountain West athletes to upper level Pac-12 athletes in a snap. Because because they came in as a good team and they said, look, now we're good and we play in a power conference. So that was easy for them. The basketball team, man, they were god-awful when they came mm-hmm. into this conference. I mean, I remember the Buffs, I think they tripled up their score in the first conference game uh, in the Pac-12. They, I think they had, what, four wins their first year yeah. in the yeah, Pac-12 they, I mean, they were terrible. And now they're an upper-tier team. So uh, Larry Kristoyak has done an unbelievable job with it, them. I, I wonder this, and maybe this is a debate for about a month from now. I think Larry Kristoviak could be the honor for best coach in college basketball. I think you're looking at guys like Bill Self, Larry Kristoviak, Coach K. Uh, you know, there's a few more that come to mind, but those are that's the upper echelon of coaches, and I really think Larry Kristoviak belongs in it. I'm going to reserve my judgment until I see what they do this year without uh, without Delon Wright. But they but Jakob Pertl does come back, so their team and the guys that they've recruited have have been pretty good. Brett Hot Chapman, who was uh, an ESPN 100 guy, started a bit, little couple games last year, played here and there. But this is you know what I'm hearing is that this is the year that he'll kind of break out a little bit. You're so. hearing you have sources at Utah. I don't have sources at Utah. I just read the paper. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> Does someone There's, read the paper to you? Still- you're hearing papers yeah, yeah. Uh, well actually we do that on Wednesdays at 1190 we I hear, sit here I, for an hour and read the paper I hear <laughs> online journalism is better than uh, newspaper journalism yeah just what I've been told just a little, little quiet sneak in there legitimate credentialed reporters right? <laughs> right, legitimate credentialed reporters speaking of legitimate credentialed reporters um I, I'm, I'm having a great day number one just because I got an email from the GOP that my Credential for to cover the debate in the spin room got granted and accepted today. So somehow this sports heavy gentleman is going to be sitting down in the spin room of the Coors Event Center. And that's I'm happy just, that you're happy about it, but I yeah. have no jealousy of you. I know. Have fun talking to Ben Carson. How is that I, guy a doctor? I was going to say Trump, but... Well, Ben Carson leads the polls now as of today. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's he's nine points ahead. It's as, as I tweeted this morning, coincidence <laughs> that the strongest hurricane ever is going to make landfall on the same day Ben Carson takes the GOP polls? Who knows? <laughs> here's, here's my proposition to you, Andrew. Yes, sir. I will give you $50... If you can get a video of Donald Trump saying, make Colorado football great again, and it goes up as exclusive content on bsndenver.com. 50 bucks for that? Yep. 
All right, I'll do that. That's going to be make on the buffs. Is it make the make buffs Colorado great again or make Colorado great football great again? We'll oh. talk. We'll talk about it. Oh, yeah. We'll work on the semantics. So transitioning out of this. Um, Why? We were having fun. Well, the debate is down in the Coors Event Center. I figure it's a good segue. Okay. Also practicing in the Coors <laughs> Event Center this week, and, and they've, been, they've been moved around. Uh, the main debate stage and the upper gym are, are off limits. Um, the lower gym is where a bunch of the teams are practicing, and a couple of the basketball teams are actually going to be at the rec center a couple times this week. So if you're a student it's a good time to get an up-close and personal look at your Buffaloes. But uh, speaking of someone who got an up-and-close personal look at the Buffaloes, maybe you want to check out BSN Denver on oh, Monday. Yeah. I, I, heard uh, a, yep. I heard you had a, you had a fun one-on-one. I thought you were going to tell a story of when uh, I got dunked on by Andre Robertson at the rec center. <laughs> <laughs> no way. That actually happened? Yep. Oh, uh, my goodness. Shot goes up. I think I have him boxed out perfectly, like a f- perfect form. I got my arms out, my ass right into him. And Andre Robertson straight up jumps over me, <laughs> grabs the ball, dunks, and just hangs his balls just in my face. <laughs> just as he's hanging on the rim. And I was like, all right, guys, uh, I need a sub. I'm going to sit this one out. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, man. I was down in the rec center once in the spring about a year and a half ago. Um, and I I was coming in on a fast break. And Nembot, Stefan Nembot, was, was going to the hole. And I fouled him from behind. And I, he turned around, and I thought he was going to rip my head off. He was like, bro, like, and he just, all he said was bro, and I'm like, huh, huh I'm sorry. <laughs> Nembot's my favorite. I love I like him. I like him a lot. I'm just, like, really scared of him after that. I just, like, hope he doesn't recognize who I am. Right after we, uh, right after we left you on Tuesday, Ryan and I ran into Nembot, and oh, yeah. Nembot's wearing these, like, Size 16 and a half, size 17, yeah. size 17 oh sandals. And I'm like, dude, you know, I could fit two of my feet into one of your shoes. Jeez. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, moving over to the uh, to the basketball side of things, uh, men's and women's basketball media day was this Wednesday. Uh, you know, some good some good quotes from Coach uh, Coach Boyle, the players. Coach Lappy was in rare form. She was awesome to listen to. And uh, we have uh, an interview with Tab Boyle that we had the day after media day, which uh, I, did, I tried to ask him some questions that, based off of what we had heard and what he had heard and um, some other things that weren't asked. But just before we play it, Quick thoughts on media day from you guys. You know, do you think that this team looks, feels, sounds ready to move on from what last year's debacle was? I think the fact that they're addressing how terrible last year was makes them recognize that they can't have that happen again. And I tweeted this. I it really seems like complacency won't be accepted this year. I'm not sure if that's going to translate to on-court success, and I'm not going to buy in until I actually see it on court and see it on court for a few games. But they're saying a lot of good things. Not that most teams don't say the right things preseason, but they're not ignoring how much of a failure they were last year. They Tad Boyle addressed his issues as a coach, the team's issues, uh, what he's going to try and do to adjust, and who, which players he thinks are going to adjust. And then the team team leader Josh Scott speaks up, and yeah, I'm the leader this year, and you know I'm not going to take, I'm, I'm going to try and take no business from anyone. Uh, I still don't necessarily like how soft spoken Dominique Collier is. I, I think he needs to develop some confidence there. And from the sounds of it, he's starting to in practice, but it's coming very slow. Uh, so I'm, I'm overall a fan of what has been said of this team from Tad Boyle and Media Day because because it sounds good. You know, it sounds like they're accepting of you know last year and making it making it seem like they're not accepting of. Uh, the result. Mm-hmm. They they realize how terrible it was and they need to move forward. 
Yeah, I think um, maybe the, the most important quote was the Josh Scott quote you referenced where he said, some guys aren't going to like me uh, at some points this year, but if something needs to be addressed, I'm absolutely going to address it. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that you need on this team that it absolutely was not there last year. Uh, there's a lot of there was a lot of free spirits last year floating around just doing whatever they wanted. Uh, and that was very detrimental to the team. That being said, I will not buy into this team until I see them put the ball in the hoop. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no, not one confident bone in my body that they don't <laughs> go to South Dakota uh, and play Iowa State and shoot less than 40%. Like, wow. it's it just happened. They yeah. go on the road and they never ever score. Yeah. Uh, and, and like they're gonna score forty three points and get blown out by thirty. That's just how I see it happening. Right. Because I don't believe they have people that can score. Terrible joke alert. Maybe they're just taking the air out of the ball, get at altitude and all those. Sorry. No. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> we will uh, we will air this uh, this Tab Boyle interview. So, some good quotes. Uh, hopefully, I asked some good questions, and uh, we'll be back to talk about it. Runs about ten minutes. So, Tab Boyle uh, coming up. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder's exclusive interview with head coach Tad Boyle, fresh off media day. Coach, how are you? Good. Good. So you've been coaching for a while, and I've always wanted to ask this. Do, do you guys view media day as just kind of this unnecessary hump and, or hoop that you got to jump through? Because for you guys, the season you know, really starts way before, but for a lot of members of the press, media day is kind of their first day. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what part of the country. I've, I've coached everywhere uh, in this country, area of the country, except for the Northeast. But, uh, look, in the middle of October, people are thinking football. I mean, it's, uh, look, the Broncos, CU, whatever the case may be here. Or, you know, I coached at Tennessee for a year, and, you know, they didn't even think about basketball till till after the first of the year. So, I mean, it's different in different parts of the country. So it's it's nice from the standpoint that, hey, the, the weather's starting to turn. It's starting to get a little cold outside and, and, and nippy. And so you know the basketball season's right around the corner. And then, you know, when you do have media day, at least the media are saying, okay, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to at least start talking about mm -hmm. basketball now. I know it's still football season. And, and we get that. And that's the one thing about college basketball is it's difficult because we're a two-semester sport. We, we bleed over into both semesters. And, and uh, your point about uh, this season starting a while ago is a good one because we've been, we've been working on this season basically as coaches since last season ended, you know, and, and players as well. So uh, it's a year-round process now. So like you mentioned kind of starting where last season ended off. And uh, two seasons ago when you guys got out of the tournament to pit, the score of that game was kind of pasted everywhere. Has there been anything from last year that has kind of been put up this year as a reminder, or is it just in the players' heads and that's all it needs to be? Well, no, because obviously, you know, Posting up that score didn't do us a whole hell of a lot of good. <laughs> we didn't respond very well to that. Let me put it that way. That was a, a motivational tactic that uh, I'll throw in the throw in the garbage. So, so the bottom line is, look, uh, and I believe this to my core, but until your players get sick of uh, getting their teeth kicked in and, and, and losing games and not having success, um, nothing's going to change. And that that was true when we first got here. You know, when we took this program over, they hadn't had a winning season in 
I can't remember how many how many mm-hmm. years, but it had been quite some time. And I, that's that was my message to that team was, look, the only person people are going to change this is the people in this locker room. And until we get sick and tired of Colorado being the stepchild um, at, at that point in the Big 12, we're going to continue to be the stepchild. And we've got the only pe- people that can change it are us. And that's really the same message I'm giving this year's team. I don't have to post anything. They know we had a disappointing year last year. Everybody that was on that team last year knows that they're the first team in four years not to go to an NCAA tournament. And uh, you don't have to say a lot when it comes to that. Mm. So uh, some news started spilling out of uh, what happened at the closed door practice. One of those big things was Xavier Talton playing very well. I'm not going to ask you about the closed doors, but in practices that you've seen so far, how has XT been playing? Has he been improved from last season? Better, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, those closed-door scrimmages. I don't know how I understand how information <laughs> leaks. I mean, it's, uh, it's like Watergate around here. But, uh, um, no, Xavier Talton is, uh, is you know, he's, he's playing like a senior. Now, he's had some practices where I've had to get on him, and I got on him uh, early. I know, I know there was one practice where turnovers were a big big issue with him, and I got on him pretty hard. But, again, he responded. He's, he's a senior. He's heard my voice before he's had my wrath come down on him before so uh, hopefully as seniors they uh, take that for what it's worth and then uh, focus in on what's important which is making plays and Xavier Talton is playing like a senior he's very uh, he's been very steady and consistent so far which is what we need so is the point guard battle going to be something that will kind of develop over the course of the year you mentioned that it's it's doms to lose but you have Xavier who you just mentioned is improved and you also have Thomas Akizili as well yeah I don't remember saying it's Dom's to lose. Uh, what I what I do know is that is that uh, Dom made great strides as a freshman, and uh, he's got uh, he's got a lot of talent, a lot of natural talent, a lot of playmaking abilities. Thomas Akizili is a freshman. We're still trying to figure out what he can and can't do, what his strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, and Xavier Talton is again a guy who's been around. This is his fourth year in the program. So to me, those three guys, somebody will emerge. Hopefully, a couple guys. You get uh, um, and. You know, I'm not afraid to play a, a two-guard lineup and play two of those guys together. We've, we've. Uh, um, the one nice thing about Xavier Talton is he can play the point and he can swing to the two, and he's very versatile. And uh, Dom and, and uh, Thomas right now are getting the majority of their minutes at the point guard spot, but I'd like to be able to play them together as well. Have you ever uh, thought about going with a generally smaller lineup in the past? You've, you've had Wes, Gordon, and Josh Scott out there together pretty consistently. Is the thought of ever going smaller in that four yeah, spot occurred? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's where George came. Uh, gives us an option. I think Torrey Miller is our most improved player from last year to this year. I don't think there's any question about it. He's made great strides this this offseason. So, you know, I look at Torrey and Wes and Josh in that post area, you know, to be kind of a three-headed monster. But certainly having George King and or Treshawn Fletcher, you know, in the lineup, um, we can go small and, and have those guys uh, at the four, uh, one or one of them, and uh, and play a, a four-guard lineup. So that's always an option. It's, it's one of the ways we recruit. We want to recruit to that um, that possibility, and uh, whether we do it or not will depend on how well guys are playing, what kind of foul trouble we're in, who we're playing against. I mean, there's a lot of different factors that go into what lineup is on the floor. Uh, now, we interviewed uh, Josh Scott on, on this show a couple of weeks ago, and one thing that Josh said is that one of the players that he thought was the most improved from last year was Treshawn, and that his ability to shoot it really improved. Um, is that something that you've also seen in practice as well? Yeah, and I think Treshawn, I think Treshawn's 
always been a pretty good shooter. And again, now it's got to translate to the games, and he's shown it uh, certainly in spots. And I think with Trayshawn Fletcher, uh, the big question becomes consistency. Can he do things consistently? And uh, but I, I've I've always been a big believer in Trayshawn and his ability level, and and, I, and he's fully capable um, of uh, having a breakout year. And he's going from that sophomore year to that junior year, so he's going from that underclassman role to the upperclassman role. So my expectations go up a little bit when when guys become juniors. I expect them to know, you know, what we're trying to get done. I expect them to be able to make plays on the floor. You know, with freshmen, I I, I give them quite a bit of leeway and in, in, in understanding when they're not playing up to their ability. When they become sophomores, I expect a jump. And then certainly by the time they're a junior and senior, that's when it's time to produce. And that's where Trey Sean has the ability to do that. And now uh, he's got to prove it and prove it on a consistent basis. And uh, if he can do that, our team's going to be uh, much, much better for it. Now, not to dwell too much on last year, but there was kind of uh, a mention of, of the locker room having a lot of egos and, and the uh, that sophomore class of Trayshawn, Dustin Thomas, and Jerron Hopkins not really, sh really showing a, a marked improvement from their freshman year. For those two guys, Jerron and Dustin, was it kind of a, a mutual decision to part ways, or was it they thought they were personally better served at the schools that they wanted to go to? Oh, you'd have to ask them. I'm not going to speak for Jerron and Dustin. Um, I know from our conversations, you know, they wanted their roles to be a little bit bigger than they were. And, uh, you know, my conversations were, listen, you're the one that has to decide that and, and determine that because, uh, you know, I'm going to play who I think is going to give us the best chance to win games. And uh, um, I certainly have a lot of respect for Jerron. I have a lot of respect for Dustin, uh, both great kids. Uh, I'll, I'll do anything I can do to help them. Uh, but they obviously felt like they were better served to uh, – uh, go somewhere else and uh, they certainly weren't forced out they weren't asked to leave but uh, they decided to do that and uh, uh, we'll move forward because of it I mean it's uh, it's unfortunate it's part of college basketball and I think if you look at uh, uh, this the landscape of college basketball over 650 transfers over the last two years alone each year um, almost two per team mm -hmm. um, and we've had four kids leave our program in, in four and in five years. So we haven't had a lot of transferring. Last year we had two. Um, this year I don't expect there to be any, but, you know, who, who knows? That, uh, that'll that all come out in the wash. Now coming forward to this year, uh, Skia Booker's role uh, in terms of team, you know, he led the team in minutes last year. He took almost as many, if not more, shots than Josh God X Johnson combined. So how do you fill that gap? I mean, is it... Is it a total team effort? Is it getting Josh more paint uh, touches in the paint in the post or, or having Josh Fortune kind of fill the shoot role a bit? Well, I think it's going to be a combination of everybody. I think, you know, you look at George King, who's a, a good shooter. We just talked about Trey Sean and his ability to shoot the ball. We know Josh Scott is a scorer. Uh, Wesley Gordon is a guy who we want to get more touches to. So it's a combination thereof. It's not all those shots that Skia took aren't going to go to one guy. That was one of the problems with last year's team is our shot distribution was not what it needed to be and uh, uh, for various reasons and ultimately you know the shot selection comes down in the coach and I've I've uh, I've told many people I made a lot of mistakes last year and uh, this year my goal is at the end of every game for that stat sheet to look right and what I mean by that is you want your best shooters getting the most shots 
uh, and your best shooters are determined by shooting percentage, not by what they think or what the crowd thinks or what the defense thinks. It's, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. the, the guys that are shooting 55 60% need to be getting more shots. The guys that are shooting 30 to 35% need to be getting less shots. And, and so that's uh, something that we've got to uh, make sure happens. The strength of this team, I think, is inside, but we've got some guys that can't shoot the ball. Josh Fortune, Treshawn Fletcher, George King, Dominique Collier's jump shot's gotten better. X Talton's proved in the past. Uh, his sophomore year that he can shoot the ball. So a lot of guys hopefully can stretch the defense. My last question before we go is between practice, media day, and this interview, uh, George King's name has come up a lot. And the kind of uh, hype train, so to speak, is starting to build around him um, because, frankly, people really didn't see all that much of him his freshman year, and then he spent all of last season redshirted. So is... I don't want to ask if the hype is real about George King, but is is there is there things that he still needs to improve on, or do you think he's game ready, having not seen the floor in over a year? Uh, George is capable of being as good as he wants to be. He's one of those kind of talented guys. He's got big, broad shoulders. He's strong. He's a matchup nightmare in the sense that there's not too many perimeter players that can stop him going to the hole or cover him in the paint. Um, there's not a lot of big guys that can come out and uh, stop him from shooting a three or putting the ball on the floor and getting around them. So his ability is unquestioned. Uh, much like Don Collier's ability, in my opinion, is, is unquestioned. What's questioned is, can he do it consistently? Can he produce consistently? Can he make good decisions consistently? And that's, I think, the thing I talk to George King about more probably than anything else is good decision-making. When do you shoot the three? When do you post up? When do you drive to the basket? When do you pass the ball? Those are, those are the things that, again, yet to be determined. Mm -hmm. So I'm not into hype. That's for the media to, to do and all this social media junk that, that goes on. Um, look, all that matters is to me is wins and losses and being efficient uh, on the offensive end and guarding somebody and rebounding the ball. George King could be one of the best rebounders in the conference if he chooses to be. Now, you know, sometimes being that talented and having that kind of um, – you know, talent at your disposal uh, sometimes can be a detriment because, you know, you, you take for granted that things are going to come easy. Guess what? They're not going to come easy. He's going to have to get what he, what he uh, earns, and he's capable of earning a lot. University of Colorado head coach, Tab Boyle. Coach, really appreciate you being on with us. It's, yep. uh, it's an honor, so to speak. No problem. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. An honor? Yes, an honor it was having head coach Tad Boyle. An honor? It, it is an honor, you know, because, uh, well, so we... He's not like a knight or a king. <laughs> yeah. He's not royalty. He he's walks an on water in this town, or at least he did before last season. He's an honorable gentleman. Yes. Okay. Yes, he is. Yes, is. No, nah, I don't know. It's... But, like, I, I actually want to talk about this for, before we go into the Tad so thing. Speak. <laughs> uh, uh, honor? So if you're, like, talking to Mir Matt Applebaum of Boulder, is that an honor? If Who? you're talking to the president, <laughs> if you're talking to President Barack Obama, that's an honor. That is. At honor. what level does it become an honor? Uh, when it's someone that you feel it's an honor or a privilege to speak to. Think about it. Man. But you talk we to Tad all the time. I don't talk to Tad all the time. Well, all the media I, events. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I think the interactions that I've have with him have been uh, have been. I saw him once in Coors and was like. 
He's like, hey, how are you? And I was like, I was so caught off guard that I was like, hi, Tad. I was like, oh, God, that was stupid. I should have called him coach. But, you know, the, the funny thing about that interview is uh, the uh, the release of information on those closed-door scrimmages. How does that happen? Yeah, man. How My does goodness. It... How, how does that occur? I, I don't understand that. How does that, that kind of stuff get out? Below of information. How, who knows how that kind of thing gets who out? Who is even but, the one doing that? I mean, and it, it, it's just absolutely the end of the world that that information got yeah. out. Well, I mean, because these scrimmages, they're so secret. And just, <laughs> if anyone knows anything about it, it's an absolute it's travesty. It's over. Yeah. The season is over. You know, and, and I mentioned this to you. Uh, you know, we shut the mics so they don't catch us saying anything stupid during these taped interviews. But the one thing I said to you, Ryan, is, look, it's better if the closed-door scrimmages are releasing what was released this year and not release what was released last year, which was 19 turnovers against DU, a lot of work to do, problems against SMU. I mean, those were things that were, like, very frightening foreshadowing of what yeah. that season was about to become. This one, at least, is a positive, and then this weekend, I believe, there is one against Florida Atlantic. That's one that I had heard from, from Ops. But is there two, maybe? They're only allowed two total. Okay, yeah. so yeah, it's either it's either a pair happened last weekend or one is. There's one more week. coming up. I, yes. That wasn't the team I heard, but yeah. we'll find out. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We, um, the flow of information will make its way towards it someplace. Out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You never know what <laughs> credential the media website it might turn up on. Right. <laughs> that Plug. only reports. Plug. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Let's, the, but yeah. You, you know, you said last year they had 19 turnovers in their closed door scrimmage, and this year it was pretty good information. What Tad said in that interview to you, you is he's not going to be afraid to play three guards. And I have the question: Is who are <laughs> does he have three guards? Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing was is you mentioned XT's general improvement, and there's uh, you know, I recall. I mean, he 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 dispelled it. I recall him saying right in the first practice that Dom Collier at that moment was the de facto starter. I don't know if the verbiage was his to lose, but I distinctly remember him saying that Dom is like in that one spot unless somebody comes in and takes it from him. Uh, I don't. I agree. I don't know if there's three guards that you could run a rotation. I with, mean, but there are. But yeah, and I, I understand what what Shap is saying, especially with the way they've built wings on this mm-hmm. on this squad. Uh, but that means that Aki Azili is going to play a lot if well, they're playing three guards. Yeah, well, Aki in there, yeah. His defense, I mean, his defense is definitely something to be desired, that's for sure. I said I read in the CUI. Dep- <laughs> Don't. Come on, let's not do that. <laughs> that's like, whatever. That's how I read in the CUI. <laughs> yeah, what? I read the, the CUI, and that's what I heard. That's fair. I just thought you were going in a very different direction no. with that. <laughs> I was. Yeah, I know you were. <laughs> but, but anyway, but... From what from what I've seen uh, in practice, I was down there today. Um, Akizili's defensive game definitely does need a little bit of work. Uh, I still am pretty uh, high on him as far as what he is able to do and how good. Um, it's just a is, different it's type a, of quickness. Yeah, in, in and the it's Pac-12. a different and it's a different game that he has to learn to adjust to. Um, one guy who I thought has been amazing. Who I, I mentioned this to you, Ryan, was man Derek White outside. Don't do of, it! Don't do it! I'm going to do it. Outside of Josh Scott, Derek White is the best player on the floor. He could have been white lightning for this team. God, God, I'm going home. (laughs) But it's it's true. And and when when Coach Boyle talks about how much he wishes Derek White was playing this year, he really does mean it, man. But let's keep in mind that Coach Boyle said that last year about Josh Fortune. 
That's so true. That's true. We'll, we'll, I think it's kind of it's an easy uh, it's an easy thing to do uh, to put all sorts of hype on a player that that isn't going to play this season. Yeah, you know, I Derek White does look really good in he's practice. He's nice, dude. I'm telling yeah. you, he's nice. I, I'm a fan of Derek White just from the interaction we had on with yeah. him on, on Wednesday. He's a, he's a real good dude. Uh, he was having a lot of fun with us. You can see he has that personality that fits in really well with this team. Yeah, and you could see him developing into a leader, but not as like a commanding leader. More as just you know, uh, I'm here to lead the way the way in a relaxed way, uh, lead the team in a relaxed way. I I, I think it, this team is uh, is really going to benefit though from. Just Josh, for, Josh, for, Josh Fortune. How much? I'm not sure because we haven't seen him play in game, and I think he's more of a pure shooter. And I don't know if he's going to be able to create his own shot, which we've, which the Buffs have struggled with getting other guys open shots since Spencer Dinwiddie has left. So I was gonna, I was gonna roll the break for this, but hopefully we are actually able to have James Lucas, the Seagulls, calling in uh, on through the phone line. So fingers crossed this works. James, uh, can you hear us? Maybe, possibly. If not, we'll probably just go to break and have him have him call in a separate way. I think that's probably this is such good radio. It, it's always good radio. It's always the best. Watching Hobner struggle with the board. Oh God, as always. Well, we're we're gonna roll actually to uh, to a quick break right now. Um, that way we can give you guys uh, not dead air and not us just doing random things and um, actually be able to get you James Lucas. So. Real quick, just bear with us for uh, for a couple minutes. We are going to head to break right now, and we will be right back, and we will have James Lucas coming on with us. 712 here, Radio 1190, KVCU Boulder's Friday Night Live. Forget. Yeah. He keeps me on cloud nine just like a tent. It's not a fake. 
All right, 714 here on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. We are back and here with a vengeance. And we also have James Lucas here with us. James, do you hear us? I can, yeah. Great. So uh, we'll we'll just get started here. Uh, we'll we'll knock the mic so you'll be able to talk. So did you watch a did you watch a lot of media day to, the coverage, the interviews, and all of that? I was able to listen to it thanks to Adam on Rivals posting a lot of the audio, so I did get to hear a lot of that. Yeah. Plus, I followed all the coverage that you guys had and Ryan at BSN, and yeah, we're on top of that. So. So what were some of your immediate takeaways? You know, do you, do you feel more confident in this team this year than you did last year? Yes. Yes. Um, I love Ski. I, he's going to go down as one of my all-time favorite buffs, but it's pretty obvious from the start that he was never going to be a leader leader, and you kind of had to hope somebody else would step up. And it was pretty obvious early on that nobody would. This year you get a totally different vibe from Josh Scott especially. And hearing that Wes is even talking in practice is kind of encouraging because I know that's a new one for the team. So, But I think ultimately it's going to come down to Dom. You know, Can he handle the leadership role? So, Yeah, James, uh, Jake Shapiro here. Do you, do you feel confident in Josh being the main guy, You know, especially in college basketball where guard play is so much more important than guys down low? Yes and no. Um, like you said, it's all about guards, and that's where I think, and I actually had a post on all of us about this about a month ago that still pops up occasionally. This is Dom's year. I mean, this team's going to go as far as he can. We know Josh is going to put up good numbers. Um, we know Josh Fortenshin's going to have a solid year. I'm excited about our wings, especially Fletcher, and I know I'm not alone on that one. But it's all down to Dom. If he can run the point, he can just keep the team steady. You know, I hate using the cliche, but a Nate Tomlinson-type role, just steady offense, keep things moving, play D, I think will be a lot a good team that could, should dance, actually. So, Hey, Goose. Ryan here. Uh, the question I have has to do more with the fans. And I feel like at this time in the season uh, – in football season, when the wheels start to come off for the Buffaloes on that side of things, the basketball hype usually starts to ramp up, and I've been kind of shocked to see that it's not really coming around. Do you kind of get that feeling, too, that there's really not that much hype surrounding this team? A little bit, yeah, um, but I also remember what it was like when I was a student there. Um Seeing how C-Unit has been incredible and in getting fans going, I think they're going to step up to the plate on this one. Uh, I just remember back when I was there in 05, I think it was, either 04 or 05, we played Northern Colorado in an exhibition game in which I, there was so few people there that I went courtside and had a conversation during the game with my friend on the other side of the court. And C-Unit has made it so that is not going to ever happen again, and I love them for that. So... I, I think once it gets going, that'll help. And, you know, the fact that we start on the road probably isn't helping anything. Hopefully we can pick up a win over Iowa State or Auburn and get the hype going a little bit, too. As an alum who's seen this program through its struggles and, and now the last few years of success, you know, have, have the last few years been enough for you? Because, you know, it's, it was so miserable for so many years as a Colorado basketball fan. The last few years have been so exciting. Has that been enough for you? And is everything else just icing on the cake at this point? Or do you really want to see the Buffs get to a Sweet 16? Is that something you think you need to see happen? Oh, that's a, that's a dangerous question right there. Um, this is actually a conversation I've had with Adam Butler, who runs PackHoops.com, 
And for those who don't know him, he's an Arizona Wildcat fan, but we don't hold that against him. Um, you know, he has a national championship in the whole thing. And it sounds awful, but I almost can't picture CU winning a national championship. Um, I obviously want us to, but I, I just have the mental block on that. I think we're heading the right way. Um, but I want more. You know, I want the Sweet 16. I feel like we were cheated out of one with Spencer's ACL. You know, I think that team could have made some serious noise. So I, I, I need more right now, you know. But I also do remember the empty days of watching Kansas fans take over the gym. So there is a little bit of happiness just to be here, too. More likely, CU basketball wins a national championship or CU football wins a national championship in your lifetime? Can I take cross country? No. <laughs> um, God, that's a dangerous. I'm going to go with basketball, as awful as that sounds. Uh, it's more of a praise of Tad than indictment of the football team, though. You know, even though I said I'm having a hard time picturing CU winning a national championship, I think Tad, if anybody could do it, Tad could eventually. Um, it's going to be a long, long fight. But I, I could see that happening. Football, there's just way too many variables right now. You know, and I'll also admit I'm not the most knowledgeable CU football fan, too. So, Fair enough. Uh you talked about Tad and your your belief in him uh, last year. I think it was one of those asinine things that came up on the message board. But you started to see the the questioning whether Tad's the right guy, and I really hope we don't have to see that again this year. But what do you think this team has to do to keep that for that discussion from coming up again on the boards? Tad ball. They've got to go back to Tad ball. You know, as much as we all hate those fifty to forty eight games that. We would grind out against what was the game in Oregon two years ago? Where it was forty nine, forty eight, or something. You know, they're horrible to watch, but they're a lot better than watching us lose. And I kind of think that last year was a bit of a wake up call for everybody, both on the team and in the fan base, that winning ugly is still a lot better than losing at one hundred and twenty points a game. So, so James, you know, when when you're out building these tables and and modding the all buffs board i mean what kind of what kind of job is that like making sure that you <laughs> are in control of the masses and you are the gatekeeper of all of the hot takes all of the analysis and all of all of the armchair guys that that are out there judging this team it's funny because you know we always see people complaining about how heavily moderated things on the board are and I don't think people realize just how lazy we are. I mean, if if there is any way to just ignore something completely, I will find a way to do it on there. So, you know, I, I promise the stuff that we're taking out of there, it's the absolute worst. To everything else, well, you see what it is like after a few football game, most games. So, you know. Do you root sometimes for the message board meltdowns? Uh, because they are hilarious. I don't even think about them when the game's going on, honestly. I really don't. And I've made it a rule pretty much that I won't look. Luckily, some of the other people on the board are much more, you know, on top of things than I am. After a game, I won't even look at the board for about 12 hours or so. I've got to give myself a little time to walk away just because I know the hot takes will be scorching, especially after a loss, and I just can't deal with that. So, 
So, James, uh, when you look at the recruiting that has gone on this year, um, after Cameron Satterwhite decommitted, Colorado got Bryce Peters, and Satterwhite ended up going to a, uh, a smaller school, and Trevor Stombach is, is still in play. Do you think that a guy like Peters is an upgrade over, over Satterwhite and that Colorado, after losing Jace Johnson uh, and the um, – oh, God, I'm blanking on, on their other big men. Um, do you think they're still in the Trevor Stombach sweepstakes? I do. Um, it sounds like we should, could be hearing a decision on him in the next week or two, uh, judging by what Adam has said on Rivals. So here's hoping with that one. Um, as for the Peters versus Satterwhite, I, I'm biased. I really like Peters. I have always been a fan of big point guards, and I view him as more of a point than Satterwhite ever would have been. So I think he's a little bit better fit for us. So, James, uh, I guess probably one of the, one of the last questions I'm going to have for you is this this team has its leader. It has Josh Scott, and based on Tad's comments and the uh, expert coaches that hopefully weren't George Carl that he brought in, um, they said that <laughs> this team the team is kind of devoid of leadership outside of Josh. Um, do you see any leaders that? will need to step up. I know that you're kind of very high on Dom right now and his bigger role that he'll have with the team. I got to go with Dom. You know, I'm curious to see how Josh Fortune fits in. I think that's going to be a fun one to watch. Um, You guys have seen a lot more of the practices than I have, obviously. So you probably have a little bit better feel of how Josh fits in with the team. Um, He's got the Big East experience. You know, he's got – a lot of stuff in his background. So hopefully he's feeling confident enough part of the team that he isn't afraid to step up and say something. I would love to see Wes do it, but I just don't think that's Wes's personality. Um, but it, it, once again, I hate to say it, it comes down to Dom. You know, the point guard's got to lead the team. We just need him to step up and say what he needs to do and carry the team. So hopefully he can do it. What's your uh, perception at – on this team overall? Where do you think they'll finish in Pac-12 play? Where do you think they'll finish in, in total as a record, above, below 500, at 500? I, I want to know where the fans' head is at. And, you know, you're a pretty uh, intelligent fan, so I think you're not going to tell well, me they're going to win the national championship or they're going to go uh, a winless. Well, we're cutting the nets down, obviously. I mean, no. Um, right. I've seen a lot of people taking us around seventh in the Pac-12. Right now, I think that's fair. I could see us finishing as high as fourth. I could see us finishing as low as ninth. Hopefully it's more on the fourth side. Right now, I'm going to be an optimist. I feel good about the team. I like how things are going. You know, it's the perfect time of year to be an optimist. I think we dance. You know, I think Josh is going to have a good year. I think Dom just does just enough. I know uh, Dan Han actually came out with his projections on SI.com today, and he had Dom as projected to be the second leading scorer on the team, which was – kind of scary when you think about it. Um, I think it's going to be more fortune show there. Uh, but if he does do what Dan projects, we're dancing. You know, it's that good of a team. So another wild card is XJ come back this year. You know, if he's back in December, that all of a sudden opens up a whole new thing because we have Fletch and King both coming off the bench then, as opposed to one of them starting right now. So it gives us a little more firepower. You know, the one thing that uh, I thought was interesting about Hanner's article, and you actually noted it, is that George King uh, isn't on that list, yet he's been that guy that Tad Boyle has talked probably the most about this offseason. But moving away from Colorado and into the general Pac-12 basketball landscape, 
just on recruits and the prestige and cash uh, of the recruits that have been brought into the Pac-12, this looks to be a really good reloading year for some teams in the conference. So over-under of four Pac-12 teams making it into the tournament this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say over. I think we get five. You know, Zona and Cal are both gimmies, I think, barring huge injuries. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Oregon. They could surprise people. Um, Utah and UCLA are kind of in the same boat for me. I'm not 100% sold on Utah yet. I want to see how they, they replace Wright. Um, and the team that I think nobody's talking about that really should is Oregon State. I'm not 100% sure they dance. I don't think they do necessarily, but I think they're going to be in the discussion. They kind of remind me of Utah from two years ago where they have phenomenal coaching. They get a nice little talent influx, and they scare some people and become better as the season goes on. So I think that's going to be a fun one to watch as the season goes on too. Uh, I have one more. uh, I know Ryan's got another question, but I got one more. It's a fun question. Uh, Brett Brady over under eight and a half points this year for, for CU. He's over. I mean, he's starting, isn't he? He should be. No, I, I, you know what? It's funny because everybody jokes about the walk-ons, but the thing people forget is pretty much every one of those walk-ons could take any one of us in one-on-one in our prime, and it wouldn't even be close. You know, and so I got to give massive props to those guys. But I, I, I do think Brett gets. We're going to say double digits this year just because we're going to have some blowout games and non-conference. He's going to get some run, and hopefully see you and encourages him to let it fly. So, Last question for me. Uh, you're going to be a dad soon. How is the, the ride going there? It's terrifying, man. It's terrifying. But I do have to say that the kid already has seven outfits, and six of them are CU gear. So I feel like we're raising him right. So... Definitely, definitely going to be raising a proud buff. James Lucas, the goose himself, we really appreciate you coming on with us. And uh, it's been good. Good, good luck with the, uh, the incoming parenting, modding the boards, and hopefully uh, avoiding uh, a few mini heart attacks that Tadball will most likely give fans this season. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys, for having me on. Uh, you know, I don't know who the other 48 people were that canceled on you, but I'm glad they all did, so you invite me on. So it was a pleasure. <laughs> oh, you're at the top of our list. Ryan uh, Ryan actually was originally going to cancel, but that's we, we had the contingency plan. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, James. Appreciate it. Have a good So that was James Lucas. The Goose, for those of you on All Buffs Who Know Him, you can find him on Twitter, at CU Goose. Pretty nice to to hear, and honestly, modding those boards, have having reading, you know, I read those occasionally after games end, and my goodness, modding those things is a daunting, daunting task. I don't know if I'd be able to do it, frankly. Yeah, I, I end up um, only looking at like the the specific threads that come out after the game. I can't do the game, the game thread threads yeah. <laughs> because it's literally like 48 pages of people just ripping on players. It's so... I Honestly, I read it for the entertainment value at some points. I think that there are some... Uh, you know, it got a little real in the Hawaii one, but there were some gems in that Hawaii pregame thread, man. Those were those were pretty incredible. But you know, lo- looking back on uh, on the team this year, um, 
you know, James raises some really good points, and I, I like I, I like his his prediction of five Pac-12 teams making the tournament this year. Um, I think that if all goes right, they might even get six. Um, there's two or three at the top that I think are are going to be there, but I'd say from four to about eight or nine i mean those are those are open slots for the take and if if teams are able to put it together and i I think that's that's pretty cool unfortunately colorado didn't have the same type of uh recruiting push that some other schools were able to have but they're they're competitive i I would like to hope that they'll be somewhat competitive in this pack i think sean miller's fantastic i think larry kristoviak's fantastic Mm -hmm. i think already you have arizona utah just uh basically you could scratch them off and put them in the in the tournament they're they're fantastic programs i think ucla is going to be good again it's it's very hard to see ucla not being good you know they have they just get as much talent as they basically want and then i think a surprise team could be andy enfield's trojans uh i know ryan's uh giving me a little bit of a, of a bad face <laughs> over here the stank face i i that's, that's I, the dustin I, thomas uh post foul face that yeah. you just gave him <laughs> post uh money uh, oh. uh yeah <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Post getting arrested for federal pour, crimes, right? yes. pour, pouring one out for the homie, right? But <laughs> no, you got. I think Andy Enfield's a lot better of a coach than people give him credit for. I think the Washington schools could take a big jump this year. I think Oregon always has the potential to to to, to do, make some noise. So I, I think you're you're looking at almost the same situation. And the team I haven't mentioned yet is Stanford, and I think Stanford's going to have a real solid year. So. Pac-12 in general, uh, as you said, reload, it's going to be pretty good. And I think Pac-12 goes through waves where they have down years and up years. I think this is looking like it's going to be a very good up year. Well, you know, you, you mentioned Oregon, and I just have to shed a tear because you know that's where Tyler Dorsey is. And you know that at some point he's going to drop like 25. Let's oh, see. Source, whoa, sources whoa, tell me. He's going to put 50. <laughs> sources tell me that someone in the C unit has befriended Tyler Dorsey on Facebook and found an, a bunch of really, really awesome things from Tyler Dorsey's youth. Oh, I think that there's going to be uh, quite a few mean spirited things said during that <laughs> during that CU Oregon yes, game. Yes, because how dare an 18 year old kid make what <laughs> he believes is the best decision for his life? Oh, man. If you thought, well, the thing is, if you thought that that one was, was a little bit rough, I I mean, the the backlash at Deron Davis for not even putting Colorado in his big three was also pretty tough. But once again, I, I agree with you on that completely. I mean, it's a kid who thinks he's making the best decision for him, and it, it's unfortunate for CU, but it is what it is. If you take shots at a recruit for choosing a specific school, you need to get yourself checked out. Unless, I, I, I'll put it this way, unless it's a, it's a real, like, committed day of signing day turns around and says no you you can maybe make a make a little nope. bit of a stink but nope 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 yeah. nope all right fair but- <laughs> when you were 18, how much did you change your mind on things? I mean, you, I still you, do. I'm right, 20. You, I don't know. I, I change I don't, my I mind on what I'm having for dinner every five minutes. Uh, if, like I said, if you take shots at a recruit for where they chose to go to school, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And the the one thing that uh, you touched on earlier, Jake, uh, Andy Enfield's USC team, and um, I know I'm getting another Dustin <laughs> Dustin Thomas stank face over well, there. They're going to be better. I'll say that. I I just have a feeling that slowly but surely. Andy Enfield is going to build a very good Pac-12 team down there in USC at the Galen Center. I mean, 
it's going to be tough to convince fans unless they're winning and going into elite eights. They to, have fans, show, exactly. Like, nope. You're not going to convince many people in USC that they're gonna, that they're good unless they become really good. But I think, I think I, when when they when CU played USC, I think it was last year or two years ago. Mm-hmm. I think Brian Howell was the only person there. Yeah, I mean, there. I, look, he is inheriting what Mike McIntyre inherited for Colorado football in USC basketball. I mean, there's there's no interest. The team's been horrible. They've I don't I don't remember a time ever where USC basketball was ever good. I mean, or like they were OJ Mayo. OJ Mayo, but, but that, that's one guy. That was yeah, and. The, I, I don't know. I think I think if there's they anyone the who can— the best women's basketball player of all time, Cheryl Miller. Well, that's true. I think if there's good anyone that's going to build a team like that, I think Andy Enfield's a good guy to do it. That's just my personal take on it. I think Andy Enfield is clueless. Um, Andy Enfield <laughs> convinced me to apply to Florida Gulf Coast when I was a high no school senior. No way. Yep. Did you actually? Yep. So that, I, <laughs> I, I, I sent the app the day before their internet broke because everyone wanted to apply to Florida Gulf Coast because they were all of a sudden one, two games in the tournament. And so that's when dorm, I applied. And they came out that their dorm rooms were on the beach. On the yep. Beach, and so man. I applied instantly. I got in and I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to Florida Gulf Coast. They're like, no, you're not. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. okay. You're going to go get an education, Jake. <laughs> uh, yeah. The fact that USC has European players on their team is so ridiculous. Colorado does too. Oh, yeah, but Colorado <laughs> doesn't have doesn't have LA in their backyard. The fact that U- USC isn't good at basketball is just an absolute joke. Uh, and Andy Enfield is not the answer for them at the coach coaching They're... position. So they will be better this year because they finally did get some good young talent out of California. But but, but you they don't... aren't going to ever be good under him. You don't attribute that young talent that they got in recruiting to him at all? Okay. No, yeah, okay. He, he does. But, but there's a difference between recruiting and coaching. Here's, and he a, huge coach. question. Okay, Here's a huge question for Ryan. You have two choices. You're coming out of L.A. as a kid. You're USC or UCLA basketball. What do you, of course I'm going to U, USC. But you said you UCLA. would never go to Adidas school. Oh, well, you're putting me in that realm. Well, if it's actually my choice, I'm not going to either of those. But those are your two options. Well, then I'll go to USC, yeah. So there you go. Choosing USC just for the Nike swoosh. I w- yeah, I, w- I would never, ever go to an Adidas or Under Armour school. Boy, those those uniforms, man, those are something, huh? Okay. Speaking oh of goodness. different sports and uniforms, I don't know how that's a transition. Anyways, I got a question, <laughs> and I should have asked J- James Lucas this, but I want to ask you guys this. Okay. As we sit right now, is Colorado a basketball school or a football school? Football. Always will be. Always will be. No matter what. I, yeah, I think I think you could have made the argument two years ago that uh, this school is slowly transitioning into at least some type of hybrid football basketball school. But the problem is the momentum that could have been used all disappeared when Spencer Dinwiddie got hurt, and then it totally disappeared when Spencer left for the NBA. Um, there was a chance. I mean, is, is it the Wooden Award? That's the, the award for the best player in college basketball? Yes. So win a national championship and a Wooden Award on the basketball court, and then we can start talking about being a, a basketball school. Because this is a school that has a national championship and a Heisman Trophy winner on the football field, and they are a football school, and it really will never change because they're never going to win those two things that I just mentioned. Well, that's true, but I, I, you don't think that the had Colorado with Spencer that year gone to the Sweet 16 and had kind of ridden off into the sunset. They got Tyler Dorsey 
banking off that success, and he came in, or he will come in, and will be really good. And last year wasn't a train wreck that you wouldn't see kind of a, a slow transition over to at least some type of hybrid like what I what I would argue Utah has right now because Utah to me is fairly ambiguous. They have two good football and basketball teams, but I wouldn't peg Utah as a football school or a basketball school right now. I don't know much about their fan base, but I do know a lot about the CU fan base. And That's true. The All Buffs board is a great uh, test of how, how things are. Go Just go in there and look at the the amount of hits and views they have on the top football thread in there, and then go look at the, the top basketball thread. And you can look at that at any, time, any point during the basketball season. There are thousands and thousands and thousands more hit on every single football thread. It's the same thing with our content. Uh, it's just football is king at Colorado, and there's always going to be more football fans than there are basketball just fans. Just for the sake of argument with Utah, the uh, football program there is the inverse. The football and basketball programs are the inverse of ours because if you look at uh, basketball at Utah, it's historically one of the greatest programs of all time. Majerus, if you look, yeah. Right. Yeah. If you look at Colorado's football program, it's historically one of the best of all time. The basketball team hasn't had a great amount of success all over their history, and neither has Utah's football team. Well, so I, I think they're yeah. almost, you can make that c- comparison. I guess you, uh, well, I mean, football for Utah, maybe you could argue that it's a bit more sustained than Colorado's basketball team has been uh, really since Urban Meyer showed up. They haven't had a bad football team yet um i wish the one thing i wish i could see i never will is um a program of sorts that uh is kind of like utah's or or like i don't want to say texas but kind of like texas where you you have two solid teams uh in football and basketball and there's good support for both and people don't have to decide whether or not it's full. I mean, Texas is a football school. It's yeah. obvious. It's Big 12, Longhorn, Bevo, rest in peace. Like, yeah. How, how many schools, Bevo? though? Bevo. 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 Bevo yeah. How many schools do you have like that, though? Think think about schools that are great at basketball and great at football. I think the only one Rare. that really comes, there's two that come to mind, UCLA and Florida. Historically or right now? Right now and historically. Right Hist- now, Right now, you could say... UCLA, Florida, Texas, Utah. Texas is not great. good at football right now. And they're not great at basketball. Right. They were a tourney team last year. Right, but a tourney team, anyone can be a good football team and have a tourney team. That's, I think all right, that's fair. Jake is pretty on point there with there only really being two all-timers uh, that come to my mind that really make it into the blue buds of both sports. Now, not to step away too much from Colorado basketball, but this is a pretty big story, and I think it's worth noting that Shaka Smart obviously is now the new head coach at, at Texas for their basketball program. Bar- Rick Barnes was a guy who... I think he was a phenomenal recruiter, but I think he just had no idea what to do with the talent he got. I mean... What? No. Not a good recruit. He couldn't recruit Texas. That's why he lost his job. He took Kevin Durant from D.C. Okay. and brought him to UT. Okay. Anyone can when get Kevin, a guy. When, he, when got Kevin, he got Miles Turner in and, state. And I, I might be mistaken, well, but I don't think Kevin Durant was like a huge recruit coming out of college, or high school. He, he, the point is... The reason Rick Barnes lost his job is because everyone came in and poached all the best players out of his state. Everyone thought Miles Turner was going to be like, oh, that's his like golden goose. He finally got one. Right. Andre uh, Roberson should have been at Texas. So should have uh, 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 the Nuggets, Emmanuel Moutier. 
Moody, well, yeah. Uh, but, like, but think about it. He wanted to go to SMU more than he wanted to go to Texas. So I think that's because Larry SMU Brown was, was offering a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but now, not that Texas hasn't done things like that in the past. Yeah, well, no, and you have no. to to be good in college basketball and college football, well, but more in college basketball. That's the unfortunate truth of college sports. I mean, it's it's kind of unsaid, but like obviously people. Is it unfortunate it. because the players are getting paid at least some way, and they should Ooh. be getting paid? Uh, Michigan, Michigan, uh, or Michigan uh, State is another. One that someone just hit yes. us. Yes, Josh yeah, Siegel just hit us up on Twitter. Michigan yeah. State, good in football yep, and basketball. Michigan yeah, State, Michigan, same one. He said Michigan, Michigan too, but but Michigan had the Fab Five. Michigan's been historically a pretty solid basketball uh, basketball program. Uh, football wise, they're one of the best. Ohio State has really just gotten good at basketball the last 10, 15 years. They haven't been historically fantastic. But that's a good run. Ohio, a, right? Mm-hmm. Ohio State's really known for their. Uh, for their track and field program, uh, uh, besides their football team, their their track and field program is fantastic. Uh, of course, Jesse Owens went there. Jesse Owens, the first guy to ever wear Adidas, by the way. Uh, Wisconsin. <laughs> could, off. As, as Ryan rolls his eyes. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin might be uh, up yeah, there. Yeah, I would argue Wisconsin. Um, the Big Ten schools, I'm starting to think, are like the schools that you go to because Notre I'm thinking Dame. of all the Big East schools, and there's very few that have success. Notre Dame hasn't been a great basketball school, though. Not until recently. But even recently. They haven't been fantastic. They went to the Elite Eight last year. They yeah. played, they played yeah. Kentucky. They almost beat, almost beat Kentucky. Kentucky yeah. Right, right now they're, they're both. Still, I think, was the best team in college basketball last year. I will never let and that that's go. That's why college basketball is awesome. I that's lost, why March Madness is awesome. Oh, God, it makes me crazy. I, well, I lost I lost a $10 bet with my girlfriend on it, and it was. Oh, no. Well, she's, she's a diehard KU basketball fan. She grew up in Lawrence, so she actually knows KU basketball very well. And. So, and she knows college basketball well because of that. She knows a thing about football, but she knows college basketball better than most people I've met. And so our general bet was Kentucky is going all the way. Kentucky is the best team in college basketball, and they lose to Wisconsin. You, you gave her the field and you took Kentucky? I was that confident wow. in that Kentucky team. I am still you that You and confident. a whole bunch of people in Vegas. Yep, I, and I'm, I still think that that was one of the best basketball college basketball teams that we might see. I, I, I think in, in terms of overall talent, yes, yes, that's but what I mean. In I don't terms mean of like a basketball a team, team, yeah, they, I, I think like, they were... ha- I hated watching them. Oh yeah, because it was just like too much. Just <laughs> it talent just wasn't everywhere. Fair. It wasn't like they didn't have to do anything. Like I love when a, t- a coach like you, has to design something and make like, it work. Like Wisconsin, the perfect example right. of that exactly. is like exactly. the Kirk Heinrich Kansas team versus the Carmelo Syracuse yes. team. Yep. that was talent yeah. versus a team. Yep, yeah. Also, can't forget uh, Jerry McNamara can't knocking forget, down threes for that Q's team. Can't forget Colorado beating Kirk Heinrich and and uh, also, Kansas. So yeah, when I because I interviewed him because he was in here for the preseason game, and I'm like, yeah, how you like Boulder? He's like, I love it. Like we never got to see anything when we were here. Like I, this is the first time I'm actually seeing Boulder. Yeah. He seemed to be a fan of it. But then I remembered that night. I'm like, oh yeah, Kansas lost to CU, and that know, was yeah. that was. At the time, and maybe still to this day, the best basketball game I've ever been to. Because it's funny, we, my friend's dad had season tickets, so he was taking us to the game. And before the game, of course, the eternal optimist nine-year-old kids in us, or however old we were, <laughs> uh, we're like, we're like, uh, Charlie, can we rush the court if they win? Like, the, all the fans are gonna do it. And he's like, 
Uh, yeah, whatever. You guys can rush the court if Colorado beats Kansas in basketball. Well, of course, it happens. <laughs> and so we're out. We gotta run out there. I'm like hugging Stefan Pele. Oh my god! Uh, I got a, a wristband from Blair Wilson. Nice. So that was a Pro- that yeah. was a great day. N- another school that might be up here. I don't know historically how great their football program is, but Arizona. No. Right. Right now, they're really good in both. No, yeah, they, their, there hasn't, their football program is historically horrible. Yeah, they, really? they, okay. they had maybe one or two good years, but there hasn't been really like, – there hasn't been sustained success for Arizona. I'll put it that way. Never. Yeah. Um, but there, I mean – What else is out there? It's got to be um, fun for their fans right now to have that little influx of – of football, right? No doubt. Yeah, uh, trying to think throughout the Big Twelve. If I'm trying to think Big Twelve, and there's nothing in the SEC besides Florida, right? Because no, yeah, there's... Kentucky, Alabama are the only two schools I can think that have really dominated, and they're not good yeah. in the other sport. Uh, no, for Auburn, no for South Carolina. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I don't really. There's very see much few else. schools. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'd imagine how how difficult it has to be to do that to have sustained success in both sports. To Syracuse had a little run for both. Yes, but but as football with Donovan McNabb, yeah, pretty good. But as as an athletic director, to pool the resources to two nationally prominent programs. I would have to imagine that is quite a juggle, and there's quite a few boosters that are either like football guys or basketball guys that must be breathing down your neck to care more about the other. And I don't know, that does, it doesn't sound like a very easy task. Think about this at Florida. You had Joakim Noah, arguably one of the greatest college basketball players ever, on campus at the same time as Tim Tebow, arguably one of the greatest college quarterbacks ever. It's true. And, well, yeah. that's early 2000s for Florida, man. Joakim what, what a time to be is a now one of the greatest college one basketball the, players. Arguably one of the better college big men of all time. You could put him in the top, I would say you could put him in the top 15 big men of all time in college basketball. He won two national titles. I he think did he win might two have, national titles. I think he might have won a Naismith. To, or did he win a Naismith? He might have won a Naismith. I don't, I don't, they're so. So many good big men that have gone through college basketball. Yeah, yeah. But, but that have had that Shaq. much success in their college <laughs> careers is Joakim Noah. I mean, they had a, he had a great team around him. Okay, but people give Bill Russell a lot of credit. And I know Bill Russell's a fantastic player, but Bill Russell had a great team around him, and he had 10 championships in 11 years for the Celtics. Right, but Trivia that's question. in the NBA. That's a whole other ball game. Bill Russell's college. Uh, San Francisco. Yep, there San Francisco. we go. The Dons, the San Francisco we, we, Dons. Uh, the Buffs played them a few years ago, and that was like yeah. the first thing on the game notes. Yep, that was. Uh, they played them a couple times, I think. They they, they, had, they, a, they got had a two year. By them. Oh man, that loss that yeah. they had. At... That was the that was the Fresno of the basketball <laughs> program. Oh yeah, that was. Oh god, that was no, even... not quite. But I don't they know. They called for... the timeout late in the game, and it it was Andre Robertson. No one. It never came out. Yeah, uh, officially who it was, but it was freshman Andre Robertson who called the timeout. Mm-hmm. That when they didn't have one, he had his Chris Webber moment. Uh, got them a technical. You know, speaking of uh, jo- Joakim Noah, by the way, most outstanding player of the NCAA tournament was one of his awards, and he won two national championships. Oh, good for him, man. Go. Good for him. Pretty good. Um, some quick scores just to update you from the world of Colorado athletics. Colorado soccer is uh, currently in the 39th minute, tied up with UCLA. Uh, scoreless at the um as they approach the end of the first half by the way one of the greatest moments in any movie is ferris bueller's day off when 
principal. Principal. Where are we going with this? Here, here, here. The principal's principal's chasing Ferris Bueller, and he's in that lunchroom, and the Cubs are playing, and they, right, exactly. The Cubs are playing, and he goes, uh, what's the score of the game? And the guy's like, 2-2. And he's and the principal goes, who's winning? And the guy behind the counter goes, the Bears. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm done with it. <laughs> that was random. I was uh, random. I don't know where you were gonna go. Shout out, though. girl soccer team. I just saw that they have silver jerseys too, and those are dope. Yeah, they uh, their uniforms are pretty sweet. They brought out the pink for uh, for their uh, the one breast they cancer have with game. like the uh, dots on it is cool too. Yeah, they got they got a couple hoops. I mean they're. Their uniforms are sweet. Unfortunately, the team is, uh, has struggled. They've lost four of their six Pac-12 games, and uh, it's been tough replacing a lot of key players on that team. But uh, hoping for a turnaround, UCLA is not the world beater that they were last year. Last year, they had one loss. They went all the way to the NCAA championship, lost to North Carolina, and now the team is like 6-6. Six and six. Is North Carolina one of the... I think North Carolina women's soccer is one of those teams that just wins every year, They right? are. They are one of They're the They're like most, the UConn of yeah, women's exactly. soccer. They are one of the most prestigious teams. They're, I can say for a fact that three at least three players in the starting 11 at the Women's World Cup final were UNC graduates. Wow. And another note, and I've probably mentioned on the show before... Six of the uh, six of the players that played, so not just the starting eleven, but the but including the three substitutes, six were former Pac-12 players, which is also pretty pretty yeah, cool. Pac-12 as well. women's soccer is pretty legit. It is. It's it's really it's really impressive. And I gotta say, across the board, the Conference of Champions moniker is so true. Well, it's because it has the most national championships it of is. any. And it's but thanks you, to John Wooden. Yeah, really. But you see how and and soon to be Mark Wetmore and continues across country Colorado and Steve Rocos, yeah. But I mean, outside of the revenue sports, man, it is tough to compete in the Pac-12 in literally everything. It's it's really like, amazing. Every time volleyball plays a game, it's like volleyball versus number one USC, yeah. volleyball versus number two Stanford, yeah, volleyball like, versus number three Washington. Yeah, it, they're they're always ranked. Soccer teams are pretty much universally ranked in uh, in that poll. Cross country is being cross country and being dominant as ever. They won. But there's yeah, but there's parity in there, a lot of those sports. Yeah, there is. Which sometimes you don't see as much in the women's game. Uh, but like, see you. Volleyball has had like a sweet upset ever each of the last three years. I think they upset the number one team the last two mm-hmm. years, both times Washington. Yep. And they just got number six Stanford last weekend. Yeah, they so two years ago they had Washington when they were one. Last year they had Washington at two. This year they have Stanford at six. They play well in cores. And the USC game, which after this show a couple weeks back, me, Joe, and Chap actually went to go watch it. They took USC to five sets. And uh they're generally just a very, very good team. And, and the conference itself, really impressed with. And uh, Colorado got a nice little treat as we enter the last 10 minutes by having Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott come uh, to the Colorado-Arizona game, lend some comments, speak to the media. Ryan, you were, you were in that group. Did, was there anything particularly interesting that he said? I know, I know that he mentioned uh, the facilities were finally on par with the rest of the Pac-12s. Yeah, he said a lot of good stuff. I mean, he, he talked about that. He talked about improvement. He talked about overall parity in the conference, which I really believe in. They're really, I mean, maybe Oregon State, there really isn't a total bottom feeder that can't compete right now. Um, 
Colorado can Colorado compete. Colorado can compete. Yeah, that I can. Uh, he, I, I had a question for him that I've always wanted to know, and it was, is it hard for him to watch the conference cannibalize itself? And he basically said, you'd love to see parity throughout the entire conference, but you you want one team on the top. So you'd love to see, you know, 11 out of the 12 teams just eating each other alive, and then you'd love to have Oregon last year or whatever it is. Yeah. Someone on top that that just kind of runs away with it, which uh, I thought it was interesting that he kind of, I don't know if admitted is the right word, but shed light on that um, for how his dream scenario of how, how it would play out. Yeah, and, you know, I think he kind of – must be looking at the you know the SEC West in in years past and how those teams were all very good they all made bowl games but there was always an Alabama or an LSU that always ended up in that national championship and last year's football season for the Pac-12 Man, that must have been just a dream for him because Pac-12, uh, I would argue, was probably one of the best conferences, if not the best conference in college football, and. Oregon was the team that ran away, went to the uh, went to the championship of the college football playoff. Unfortunately, lost Ohio State, but it must have been great. Um, he also discussed the AT and T deal. Uh, what were you going to say before we? Touch uh, I on just that? saw a note on Twitter that uh, CU has the only shot on goal at halftime in that UCLA game. It's, so not exactly action packed. They is no, it, that's that's in Southern I've California. Been like that's miserable. Yeah, they right now. well they. Both those teams play each other really close every One year. One shot on goal at halftime between both teams. That's not fun soccer oh, to watch. It's, it's never fun soccer. I mean, that's CU's biggest problem. Wait, 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 wait. Soccer's never fun to watch? Was that what you were going to say? No, when teams get in a defensive battle where you see maybe two or three shots on goal and a half, then yes, that is not fun soccer Baseball's to watch. awesome when there's no like offense, honestly. Eh. Let's not go there. So, anyway, it's um, great sport. With, with six minutes left, uh, Ryan, he touched on the AT&T deal, um, and I thought what he said was, was pretty interesting. Um, they had a very good reason for why they didn't go forward with DirecTV and AT&T. Yeah, I mean, AT&T and DirecTV basically came in and said, we want this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and every, all these things that literally no one else is getting from the Pac-12. Uh, and it was kind of... Uh, a slap in the face, really, to Larry Scott, who thought he had a good uh, relationship with AT&T going into this. But when they come in and, and say something like that, it's one of those things where they're saying, we know you're not accepting this deal. Um, so it was kind of unfair what they kind of did to the Pac-12 there, and it gives me absolutely no hope for that deal ever getting done. Um, and what it comes down to is... The Pac-12 network needs DirecTV more than DirecTV needs the Pac-12 network, and it's not even close. So uh, eventually the Pac-12 network is going to have to give up some ground because they there's no absolutely no motivation for DirecTV to go outside of their terms for what they want. It's, it's like Rick George making terms with CSU. Yeah. CSU has no leverage because Rick George can have it whatever way he wants because Rick George's quote-unquote subscribers don't really care that much about playing CSU. The same way that DirecTV's subscribers, a high percentage of them, don't really care that much about seeing the Pac-12 network. Well, and the, the biggest thing that the Pac-12 network struggles with is the concept of distribution. Um, our first show of the year, we had Eric Hardenberg, the uh, vice president of public affairs for the Pac-12, shed a little bit of light on this, uh, the multimedia sales arm that's happening with the Pac-12. And I really like the idea that the short-run losses will justify the long-term gains um, for the conference and for the network itself, because the 
biggest reason why uh, individual schools aren't getting as much of a payout from these yearly revenues like the Big Ten and the SEC are is because so much of the overhead cost has to go to the Pac-12 network since it's 100% fully owned. But once you hit, and I think this is why this deal died, is once you hit the streaming model, and I think we're only two, three years away from that. If even. If even. Uh, the Pac-12 controls all their distribution, all their content creation. They hold direct 100% ownership of this. And the Big Ten Network is a 51-49 split with Fox. And the SEC Network is basically 100% owned by ESPN. They, they have their own network, but ESPN covers a lot of uh, the production costs and the actual overhead for the network itself. It's I think that they're making a very shrewd business decision by doing what they did. And we're not going to see the payoff now. We haven't seen it for a couple of years now in terms of straight profits and losses. But in as the future moves, the Pac-12 is positioned amazingly going forward. Yeah, that's the point I was going to bring up. You know, Colorado and the Pac-12 has not made as much money off this deal as initially expected right now. But, Still bringing in twenty mil a year, right? Yeah. I, and I can tell you, six, I think. Right now, time. I moved into an apartment in August. I still haven't gotten cable. I know Ryan doesn't yep, have cable. I don't have cable either. So you're looking at a generation of kids and you know young adults that are starting to not get cable. There's a lot of cord cutters. ESPN just fired a bunch of people, and the fact that Pac-12 has the flexibility to do whatever they want, and Larry Scott said this, and they own everything they produce gives them so much availability to do whatever they want and it's just it's unspeakable the amount of possibilities they have because we really don't know where sports media is going right now and it's kind of scary for people that are in it or trying to get into it but the fact that Pac-12 owns almost everything they put out is amazing for them and gives them so many options real quick if you're thinking about pulling the plug and getting rid of cable you should try it because I it's this, it wasn't even a purposeful thing for me. It's just I moved apartments. I didn't really have time to set it up. Uh, a week Same. went by, two weeks went by, and all of a sudden I thought, this is kind of easy. You know, if I really need to watch something, I can find a friend's house, a bar, whatever, to go watch it. But honestly, what I've learned is cable just keeps me company while I'm scrolling the internet it's anyway. True. So Just play some tunes and, and read. I, I've read so much more now. Yeah, exactly. So uh, if you're thinking about it, give it a shot because it, it, the transition was almost seamless for me. I thought it was going to be a lot tougher and it really hasn't been. So, call, you know, that new, that new streaming model will, will happen eventually with one minute left in the show because this is uh, Pac-12 related. Sports Business Daily, if you don't read it, I highly recommend it. It is the best dose you will get of what is going on in the other world of sports. Um, Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott said the NCAA should consider making basketball a one-semester sport. Totally agree. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Shap? It should be played from January to May. Yep. There you have it. May Madness. We need score predictions for everyone for the game. Yes, true. Forgot about that. We're going to start talking slowly, like (laughs) we started saying on the podcast. Okay. I have no idea. Ryan already has a prediction. Yeah, Yeah, give me yours first. first, My prediction is... Everything that could possibly go wrong for the Buffs goes wrong. They lose 34-24. to 24. Murphy's Law. Okay. I, I am going to try and be optimistic. I have been optimistic on this show, even if I don't believe it in my heart of hearts. Colorado 35, Oregon State 24. Uh, Oregon State wins by 17 points. 14 to 17, 17 points. I'm going to just put, put it. Put a freaking number on all right. it. Literally. Uh, 35, 35 24. <laughs> all right. You get it. All right. That's fine. 8 o'clock here on Friday night. 
for Ryan Konigsberg and Jake Shapiro of BSN Denver. I'm Andrew Hobner. You will find us all over the place, really, on Twitter at Ryan Konigsberg, at Shapalicious, and me at A underscore G underscore Hobner. Check out all the great content on BSN Denver. There's weekend. a ton of stuff that's coming up, and it's the weekend. We hope that you guys have enjoyed this show. Special thanks to Coach Tad Boyle and CU Goose James Lucas. We will see you guys on Monday, wrapping up final thoughts from Colorado's game against Oregon State, and then join us again at this time next Friday. This has been a Friday Night Live on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder turning it over to Ambient Overnight your man by the rich hands we're going streaking we're going streaking (laughs)